movie podcast for the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Marlorski. I'm just mad because my mother named me Christian. And with a tagline for the Magnificent Seven, Kelly Wine. Um, it's like Westworld, but with Asians. <laughs> Jeez. Um, oh, think about it. That's a great one. Okay, thinking. I mean, there's, a, there's one Asian. What's the matter with you? I don't understand that one. Yul Brynner. Yul Brynner's Asian? It's the Seven Samurai and Yul Brynner Joe combined yep. in six words. <laughs> I think you're just, he was in The King and I, and he plays like a Chinese fellow there, doesn't he? He's Asian, really? No, that's oh. Seven Samurai part of the joke. He's not in Seven Samurai. No, <laughs> I'm not saying the two jokes are related. I combined them like a beer milkshake. You'll have to. I don't understand either one. You're gonna have to give me a different tagline, Kelly Wand. Did you see Westworld and Future World? Yeah, no, I don't remember Future World, but I've, I've watched Westworld recently. Future World. He's uh, he's wearing the black cowboy outfit, and he's uh, a girl's fa- sexual fantasy, and she's dreaming about him in a building. Wearing that out, that outfit, like. But is he really Asian, though? I don't understand why that's an Asian thing. No, that's just Seven Samurai. Oh, he's Asian in The King and I, though. Yeah. Okay. But it's a very complicated joke. I know. I, it was way too complicated. Do you have one that's simpler for guys like me? Not counting girls. Okay. Nostalgic fans of the original Magnificent Seven are all dead. <laughs> That one I kind of get. Guest starring Chris Pratt as Kate McKinnon. Aw. <laughs> Not so much as it turns out. Ooh. That would be, if you had, if you had made that the tagline, that would be one, something that would make me want to have seen this. Yeah. yeah. I would have felt all the more betrayed, but that yep. would have been a great selling Absolutely point. Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you have seven of but these? But it's still... Oh, that would have been smart. Oh, there's not much magnificence in your taglines then. <laughs> um, that should be I the last line of this. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, before we spoil anything from Magnificent Seven, one of you guys is going to do a quiz. Uh, who is it and what is the quiz? All right. This is called the Magnificent Seven quiz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, there's seven movies... With seven or seventh in the title, okay. not including visionary Josh Hartnett's masterwork, Lucky Number Slevin. Because that's not seven, right? Exactly. Just like the the, the movie Seven, it's a, it's S E uh, the numeral seven E N. So also right. the word seven. So Lucky it's Number like, Slevin and Seven don't qualify. Oh. Oh, did I mess up your quiz? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take them both off. Okay. But yeah, you have to. Um, well, yeah, it was also like Star, The Empire Strikes Back, Wars was how that logo looked. I remember thinking, that's how they want me to pronounce right, it? Right. So basically, starting with uh, 
dingus because Tom just said one. You have Wait. to like name a movie with seven in the title until I... someone runs out, and then that other person wins. The person who doesn't run out, that would be crazy. Can it have the TH at the end? Yeah. All right, the seventh sign. Okay, Tom. Uh, seventh sign. Oh, yeah. See how, <laughs> see how far this is? Okay, I guess there's more than seven, though. All right, uh, seventh seal. Mm. Oh, when you said seventh sign, which, what is seventh sign, then, Dingus? Isn't that that's the, the Bergman. That's the Bergman. Seventh Seal's Demi. Oh, well, what's Seventh Seal? Oh, okay. The, 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 the uh, Demi Moore, uh, okay. she has to save a boy who has mental retardation from being executed movie. Uh, how about Furious Seven? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, how about... Uh... Isn't this fun? Uh, You're welcome, uh, listeners. Seven, seven, um, seven Psychopaths. Oh, oh see? Good. Uh, that was the last one I thought of. Seven Pounds is the one where Will Smith gets killed by a jellyfish. Is that the Sean Penn Hart movie? Sean Penn Hart movie? No, it's where Will Smith gets killed by a jellyfish. Oh, okay, right. Isn't it? That's the one where he, uh, yeah, he gets in the tub and puts a jellyfish in it. And, uh, I just pictured it being Sean Penn's heart in my brain just now. No, that's 21 grams. That's like the, I got killed by a jellyfish. It's Will Smith, that's why it's more powerful uh, than did mine. Did we already do Seven Samurai? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Good work. See, now Tom has to think of one. Well, Magnificent the Seven, the original one. Uh, okay. Right. See? There's at least two you guys haven't thought of. That's your hint. What? There's two easy ones. And then five hard ones that you've already named. <laughs> <laughs> or we could just stop doing this. That's the other solution. Um, all right, hold on. Just hold on. Just quiz. give me a second. Just give me a second. Don't look stuff up. I never yeah, look stuff up. Give me a second. Uh, you have seven seconds. <laughs> and then seven minutes if you don't have it in seven seconds. Uh, seven, um... Is the next 28 Days Later going to be... Seven Brides... Right? No, that can't be true. Why can't that be true? Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Why would that... Isn't that even a musical? That'd be right up your Which alley. Which part of that sounded weird to you? In, it, it, in I just head. didn't know if the number was right, that's all. You were like, there's no way that could happen. Yeah, because, yeah, it seems <laughs> too easy. You can't get seven girls together. But I was also thinking of a different, a, a different movie that was, uh... Anyway, go ahead. Uh, is there a snow like in the Snow White? Is it technically Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? There's got to be one that mentions the dwarves, right? Ah, very good. Yeah, man. they're marquee. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a that's a musical as well. Mm, no, it's a cartoon. Uh, there's one. Oh, Jesus. You guys already named the ones I thought were. Eaten. I already no. know. I, I can think of two more. There's really uh, yeah. seven days in something. Seven days in something. Seven days of summer. No, that's five hundred. Oh, I know. I know what you're thinking of. I'm not even going to say it. I think I know what you're thinking of. I now have three, if I'm correct. Yeah. Uh, I thought of four, actually. Seven Days in the Valley? No, it's Seven Days in May. Yep. I think this is right. Uh, glad, I'm, glad I'm not a comp- competitor in this one. <laughs> I'm just a referee. 
who doesn't remember anything anyone said so I think far. Tom's got this, because I don't think I have any more, actually. Tom uh, says he has three. The Anne Heche one, isn't that six days, seven nights? Oh, very good. Yeah. I got one more. Wow, you have another that. one? Yep. And this is that. definitely in my wheelhouse. It's one that you guys wouldn't... Kelly would know it, but it might be one Kelly's talking about. But Dingus, you... I can't imagine you would ever get this one. Jason takes Manhattan... Is there a seven in that? Oh, I, I guess I, there are oh, things. Oh, like with Roman numerals. Does so that I could count? say um, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven: seven. Uh, Force Awakens. Awakens. Right. Awakens. Right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Dingus is back on the board. Uh, how many years is Brad Pitt in Tibet? Isn't oh, seven. Damn it, Tom. And I still have one more that. That's not even one. Still have two movies with seven in them. It's a Brad Pitt theme. One more that's not even. It's definitely not a, a Dingus one. He has um, seven right now. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, that's it. I, I, that's all I've got. There's a, a – I don't – is it Frankenheimer? But there's a movie with Roy Scheider with a famous car chase in it called The Seven Ups. Uh, a oh, seven yeah. – Oh, movie. shit. Fuck. And there's the taking, the taking of Pelham 127. <laughs> I guess Tom Tom wins. Tom wins this. Yeah, very good, Tom. I didn't know what that was. But it was much closer than – Oh, wait. All right. Isn't that – what you said it was The Seven Ups? Seven Ups, yeah, and it's written out. It's not like – uh, like the number seven is, yeah. What's the um, the series of documentaries that's like su- something up, something up, something up? Uh, 40 ups, 11. Uh, it's that, oh, I forget the guy who does it. Like it follows along those people as they're aging. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's a seven ever yeah, in there. I don't either. Okay. Yeah. But we didn't actually say today's movie, though. Neither of us picked that one. I don't know if that was off the table. Kelly didn't specify. That's a good point. But you did yeah. say it. Oh, you said the 1961? I said the original one because I wasn't sure if Kelly was trying to take the original, uh, the the one that we saw today yeah. off the table. I was assuming he was. Um, well, regard, it's the same regardless, title. I, I think yeah. I think you got this one. All right. Yeah. Kelly, one, what do I win? Um, talking about movie ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Before we do that, though, why don't uh, Dingus? Why don't you tell the listeners what movie we got to see this week? All right. This week we saw the Magnificent Seven, 2016. Mm. <laughs> a, a 2016 American action western two times removed remake movie about seven amigos with no sense of humor. It was directed by Antoine Fuqua <sighs> and written by <sighs> Richard Wank and Nick Pizzolatto. Oh, oh no. Oh, like season two. Punch to the gut there. Ouch. Based on a screenplay by Akira Kurosawa, Shinobu Hashimoto, and Hideo Oguni, with lines from a screenplay by William Roberts. It stars Haley Bennett. <sighs> yeah. 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 Uh, Byung-Hun Lee, Martin Sensmeyer, sorry, Martin Sensmeyer, Jonathan Joss, and a bunch of other dudes. <laughs> the Magnificent <gasps> Seven is rated PG-13. I'll say. And this is yeah. my favorite part of the show tonight, as I crack my knuckles. Magnificent Seven is rated PG-13 for extended and intense sequences of Western violence, <laughs> some language and material, and for historical smoking. Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I saw that in the credits. <laughs> that is yeah. fantastic. Wow. <laughs> When I found that, when I looked it up, I was just gleeful. Historical smoking. Thank you so much. 
Wow, because I definitely noticed a lot of smoking in this, and I was like, wow, that got past the MPAA. I, they let yeah, them do that. But, Tom, it's historical. I know, yeah, yeah. It's what it was really like back then, sure. Yeah. Can't wait for historical <laughs> nudity to start going up. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's actually a good loophole for anything. Historical cussing, historical violence. Caligula yep. was historical. Yeah, historical <laughs> lasciviousness, right. Yeah. And so is a history of porn. Excuse me. Fascinating one. Uh, Sorry, I thought smoking. you guys were going to talk a little bit longer. No, right? I, was, I am talking. About, I'm going to. I can talk about historical smoking as much as you want, but you know we should probably wait so because they don't want to give any spoilers away. Yeah, before we talk about the smoking in the movie, let me tell you, Magnificent Seven, sixty-two percent of the reviews are positive. On Metacritic, the average no, rate seven. reviews. Uh, no, afraid not. This is uh, <sighs> it's fifty-four on Metacritic. That's not divisible. I don't know what that tone meant. I was thinking Triumph. 54 is divisible by 7. That's 56 I was thinking of. Uh, so 54 on Metacritic. Here's a, here's a good one. Uh, and I <laughs> you find, were thinking of it? Well, I was gonna, you said no 7, and I was going to say, oh, 54 is divisible by 7. But then I realized, nope, that's 56 I was 56. thinking of. They're very similar numbers, 54 and 56. It's the know. only number in the 50s that's divisible by 7. Well, there's uh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's true of a lot of numbers, though. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it's true. Nine out of ten of them. Uh, the, uh, on, on CinemaScore, which is the how the degree to which idiots like a movie, uh, on CinemaScore, Magnificent Seven got an A minus. <laughs> Wait, that's the lowest you can get. No, no, the idiots love this movie. Is what that's telling you. But when it, they get a B plus, they're devastated. The, yeah, yeah. B plus is a. It's the, the, oh, yeah. idiots gave us a B plus. Fuck. Yeah, it, yeah. It, B that's minus just, is right, right. But A might, yeah, you know, that's that's positive. That's something that uh, that uh, Sony and MGM can, you know, give us a, as a positive sign of this movie. A oh, minus. Cinema on a curve. Uh, it opened at number one with thirty-five million, which is a little, probably a little short of what they were expecting. Um, but really? you know, it beat that that new cartoon about storks, so they got that going for them. <laughs> that's hard to do these days, too. Beat a cartoon about storks. Yeah, who did? There's that? an animal-themed CG movie. It always seems to win the box office. I don't know who did that Storks movie though. Like, was that any? Was that like a Pixar or was that the? Who are no, the they only do Aquatic Life now. I didn't even know it was a thing until you know, I went to the, see the movie uh, Magnificent Seven at the earliest morning show, and I saw a bunch of like dads and their kids coming in to the theater. I'm like, what is going on here? And they're all going, there's storks, we're going into storks. And I'm like, what in the world is that? Uh, uh, and then I got They think it's I, an origin story for them. Storks I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. And then I found out that uh, a friend of ours did some voice work in it uh, today. So. And that's why the kids were going? Yeah, pretty much. The storks poster has ringing around the poster uh, people and animals sticking their heads in looking down as if the poster was from the perspective of someone lying on his or her back looking up and everyone standing around that person looking down and I see that and I can't help but think that that's the Vultures. Clockwork Orange shot from like that famous shot in Clockwork Orange where they're they're, uh, they're, they're gagging the, the, the old man and beating him up in the in the bathroom uh, and is that intentional? So wait, what is, I, the, I doubt. is the poster supposed to give you the idea that they're watching somebody give birth? Ew, gross. I don't know. Right. Now, I, I just thought, I thought I figured it was like a baby lying down. Everybody's looking down at a new baby. Oh, all right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, put that, I, put that baby mind. in a basket and send it out in the sea. Could be, right. Yeah, They're yeah. circling it like vultures. 
Yeah, well, that's just creepy. Yeah, that that's as creepy as the Clockwork Orange reference, Kelly Wand. Yeah, Kelly Wand. Speaking of creepy, <laughs> why don't you give us the Magspopsis Sevenopsis, which would be the name for a synopsis of the Magnificent Seven, as delivered by Kelly Wand? Yeah, come close. Wait, what'd you say again? I can't recall all of that. Way too much. <laughs> yeah, I think we're right, though. That wasn't too far off. All right. Magnificent Sopsis. Very good. Yeah. Oh, and for the ratings, I would have added extended scenes of non-gunfighting. <laughs> <laughs> Some words are all. The West, a calendar year without a seven in it. A bunch of white people go to church to argue about their real estate options. Suddenly, Alexander Skarsgård has a mustache. <laughs> he kicks the door in and walks in, evilly jiggling a jar of dust, accompanied by a bunch of scruffy gunmen chewing bison chips. The priest is all, finally something good. He offers Skarsgård the religious podium and golf claps as he heads for the wings. Skarsgård scowls at the congregation. In the back, a carpetbagger leans over to a tinker and goes, I'll have what he's having. Skarsgård finally points to a kid in the middle rows that luckily we won't ever see again for the rest of the movie. He's all, you, kid number four, come up here. The kid looks a little nervous, and Skarsgård's evil and known for killing people all the time for no reason, but his dad's all, go on, son, I want to see how this plays out. The kid goes up, Skarsgård's all, put your hand in the jar, don't worry, Fuqua has red dune. The kid does it. <laughs> Skarsgård's all, what do you feel? The kid's all, uh, dust? Skarsgård's all, exactly, now go sit down again, great job. The kid rolls his eyes and walks back to his seat, muttering. Skarsgård pours the dust out onto the Bible on the lectern and goes, You folks here have the best dust I've ever seen. I'll give you $20 a jar for all you can collect. Congratulations, y'all are now millionaires. As the crowd yells and cheers angrily, he walks back outside. Then he has his men shoot at the church till it burns down and the bell falls with a clang. As he tries to leave, bearded villager number 36 shakes his fist at Skarsgård's back and goes, Dang it, what the hell? <laughs> That's not what he says. Dang it, what'd that bell ever do for you? Skarsgård shoots him till he starts asking non-rhetorical questions. A nearby woman in a shawl is all, That was fucking awesome. Another Skarsgård's bed buries a tomahawk at her shoulder. She's dead, but luckily there's no blood. Skarsgård spits tobacco into his mouth and goes, Let that be a lesson to all who try to understand my motivation. Yeah! (laughs) After a few seconds, he realizes he's not on a horse and awkwardly climbs on one. Then while he struggles with the reins, it canters majestically into the burning church. We hear Skarsgård choking and swearing with annoyance from the swirling ash. Suddenly, the girl from Hardcore Henry, I no longer get mixed up with the Skyfall chick, has red hair. She turns to another bearded character and goes, I sure wish my husband had shot Skarsgård just now instead of popping off his mouth. Now I'll have to hire an army to do it. She hauls a purse full of gold bars into view. She's all, with this massive fortune, the bearded man's all, "Uh, I think I'm one of Skarsgård's guys. You probably shouldn't be telling me all this. Wait, how'd you amass this money? The Skyfall girl's all, now let's see, Skarsgård has one, two, three, four, five. 
8,061 men and a Gatling gun, so my goal should be at least 18 samurai, or 13 ghosts, 30 dozen, 11 oceans, 10 commandments, 9 configurations, 8 heads in a duffel bag, but anything less than 8... Some words and music are all magnificent sopsis. Meanwhile, in a saloon, Chris Pratt, who's well-known for his slate of hand while playing cards, is playing cards with some crippled people. For fun, he lowers his eyelid. And I... For fun, he lowers his eyelid at a one-eyed man. Then he looks over at the one-legged guy playing across from him and laughingly pretends to stump around on a wooden leg for a couple minutes. Then he looks over at the pregnant lady and mockingly simulates breastfeeding. Then he looks over at the colorblind guy and goes, Ha ha, the middle two hours of Wizard of Oz look the same to you. (laughs) (laughs) Then he lays down his cards. Boom, five kings. The one-eyed guy's all, Jesus, it's the eighth time in a row. Suddenly some boots pause outside. Everyone in the saloon (laughs) hushes uneasily. The piano music seizes discordantly. The owner of the boots pushes open the batwing doors. His spurs jingle as he crosses the floor. He finally gets to the bar. The camera pans up to reveal. It's only Denzel Washington. All the patrons (laughs) sigh with relief and resume talking again. (laughs) The mountain man of the bunch is all, for a second there, I thought it was Jaden. The bartender's... <laughs> Could have happened. The universe sort of did. The bartender scowls racistly at Denzel. I lean over to Spike Lee on the mule standing beside me and go, Back then it really annoyed white people when black people wanted to pay them for alcohol. I read it in Tarantino. Denzel puts a wooden nickel on the counter and goes, Name's Sam Jism. Sex on the beach, please. The bartender's all, we don't carry that. Denzel takes back the wood nickel, pockets it, and goes, guess you better make it a double then. The bartender, seeing that he's lost the argument, sets out a bottle and a glass. Denzel's all, I'm looking for a man about your size. He's under arrest in Kansas for over-serving alcohol to out-of-towners. Denzel pulls a wanted poster out and holds it up alongside the bartender. It's a perfect match, right down to the words, wanted $5,000, dead or alive, written on both shirts. The bartender's all... Oh, shit, sorry. So what, do I pay a fine? Denzel shoots him. (laughs) Then he turns and goes, Don't worry, I'm not a psychopath. I only kill for money. Now someone go get the sheriff before I shoot you all. Everyone runs except for Chris Pratt, who does a slow clap, then gets up and starts taking all the money off the poker table, along with the money in everybody's coats and the silverware behind the bar. He says something witty and invents a back entrance to slip through. Meanwhile, a lynch mob appears at the front entrance, annoyed at Denzel. Denzel's all, don't worry, your bartender was evil. To prove it, here's a piece of paper. He eventually finds the right one in the right pocket and hands it around to the townspeople. The hangman's all, it is paper. Now we can play hangman. The girl from Skyfall walks up to Denzel and goes, I really like how you murdered that unarmed bartender. I think you're just the man I'm looking for to take on an evil cattle baron and his army. He's all, sorry, I only take on suicide missions for money. What do I look like? She tosses him a satchel. He catches it, looks inside, then looks at her. She's all, uh, there were gold bars in it. I had a big lunch. I've been offered a lot of things for my services before, but never nothing. Meanwhile, two bearded people accost Pratt on his way to the next saloon card game. One's all, all right, wise guy, went in the pot just because the bartender's dead is no longer a legal poker move as of 1853. Now let's go over that deserted field over there to listen to you make fun of us some more. 
They go out to the field and point their guns at Chris Pratt. He's all, wait, pick a card. Like velociraptors, they do whatever he says. (laughs) (laughs) He's unstoppable. Just that charming. He guesses the wrong card. He keeps guessing another 50 times till one of the guys shoots himself. The other guy's all, that's the best trick I've ever seen. And hands Pratt his pistol. Pratt's all. Now for my next trick, originated by Heath Ledger, the magical disappearing female demographic. He shoots the guy's ear off. <laughs> then he's all, that's what you get for touching my guns. The guy's all, I didn't touch your guns. You robbed me at poker. What kind of sick universe is this? <laughs> Pratt goes to the horse corral to celebrate the mutilation. While Denzel watches yawning, Pratt's all, hey, I'm here to pick up my horse. The annoying-faced old rancher's all, got the money for it? Pratt's all, look, I'm a little light right now. The guy's all, I thought you just robbed a poker game. Denzel's all, hmm, a swindler who's full of himself. Old man here, I'll pay you for Pratt's horse. Now, Pratt, you work for me indefinitely. Suicide mission, let's go. Pratt's all, yes. Denzel's all, now before we get to know each other, let's split up. Denzel rides with the woman. <laughs> It happens in the other one. Denzel rides with the woman in a bearded villager who's not important to a cabin with some dead people in it. Denzel shoots a couple more who try to come in until one of them's Mexican. Then he's all, are you the child rapist serial killer Santorum? The Mexican's all, no. Denzel's all, congratulations, you're hired. Your pay is me not chasing you after the movie's over. Your duties are unspecified. The Mexican's all, okay. Meanwhile, Chris Pratt rides into a village where Ethan Hawke's watching his Asian friend Billy stab people. Pratt's all, come on. He drags him off to visit Denzel by a tree. (laughs) Upon arrival, Pratt's all, cool, you got a Mexican. He walks up to the Latino and goes, this is how you people walk. He walks around sideways like a crab. The Spanish people in my audience exchange confused looks. (laughs) They didn't feel disenfranchised in Guardians of the Galaxy. The next day, they go to a different cabin and run into two more bearded freaks. One's all, hey, looky here, I stole this hat off a mountain man named Jack Horner. The other one's all, and I stole this lariat from around some dumbass's neck at the gallows. I think we're brothers by the wah! (laughs) Vincent D'Onofrio, wearing a bear rug and fat, hacks him to death with a tomahawk, then shoots the other guy in the nuts. He's all, hi guys, I'm retarded. It's only 1870-something, so we still use that word. My superpower's hunting beaver. (laughs) He winks lewdly at the Skyfall girl. I look over at Cormac snoozing beside me and go, I know which character I am. Reluctantly, the group agrees they have just enough room left for a psychotic, childlike beaver hunter. D'Onofrio is all. I'm also skilled at killing Indians, supposedly, uh, although I'm useless against Gatling guns. Uh. Pratt's all. Hey, Private Pyle, here's how you walk, asshole. 
He walks back and forth in a straight line, giggling. The assholes in my audience exchange confused looks. They walk a couple more feet, then although it's only 11 a.m., decide to camp for the night in the middle of a tree-filled gully in Indian country. <laughs> Suddenly, Ethan Hawke sniffs the air. As he draws his rifle and chambers around, he's all, could be Gattaca. Denzel's all, don't worry, look, it's just an Indian with a mohawk. Since Denzel speaks two words of Comanche, he sidles up to the newcomer and goes, Ow! The Indian points at his own groin, jabs at Denzel, spins his index finger like a propeller next to his ear and farts twice. Ethan Hawks all. He says his name's Swollen Wigwam and that he wants to join a group arbitrarily no matter what we're doing. Steve McQueen's all. We deal in lead, friend. That's why my balloon business just went under. The Indian lowers the yak he's carrying to the ground, castrates it, then holds out its severed dick to Denzel. Oh. Denzel takes it and starts eating it. The Indian stares at him repulsed and begins vomiting into the bushes. Ethan Hawksall, he says that's disgusting. He was asking, please throw that away from us so we can leave these woods cleaner than how we found them. The Indian's all, I speak English, by the way. My hairstyle's Mohawk, but my tribe's called the Page Boy. Denzel takes another bite and goes, okay, that's seven of us. Now let's head for town. Unless any of you knows an Eskimo, a merman, an alien, or a woman. <laughs> the Skyfall girl's all, hey! Pratt goes up to the Indian and goes, here's how you guys walk. Pratt walks a couple steps. A passing car throws garbage on his foot, and a tear runs down his cheek. <laughs> then he laughs at the Indian and tries to collect a high five from the dead yak. The garbage bags in my audience exchange confused looks. <laughs> Instead of heading for town, everybody falls asleep on the boulders for another night. Pratt tiptoes over to the Skyfall girl's platonic bearded friend and goes, Hey, want me to teach you how to shoot a gun in exchange for a sip of your whiskey? The guy's all, No thanks, I just had a sip. Pratt's all, No, I mean let me have a sip. The guy's all, Dude, what happened to your poker winnings? If you're so slick, how come you're always out of everything? But Pratt's already drinking. Then he's all, Okay, lesson one, this means don't shoot. He raises his hands. That's what the last idiot did right before I shot him in the ear. Lesson two... Take this card from my... No, wait, I wasn't ready yet. <laughs> Give it back. Wait till I'm done talking first. Okay, was this your card? Wait, I didn't say take that one. Take the three... No, the other three. Jesus. Eventually, the audience falls asleep. When they get to town, they trick Skarsgård's 50 gunmen by shooting them. To celebrate... <laughs> You know, I'm not going to write it out. To celebrate, Denzel holsters his gun and goes, There. Now, since I somehow know where all his guys are stationed and how they communicate, Skarsgård should be back here with hundreds of guys in a week, which gives us seven days to set up booby traps and teach all you stupid coal miners how to shoot. The Skyfall girls all, Wait, what? I thought we were paying you to recruit veterans. Speaking of which, where is the money satchel? I handed it to Pratt this morning. Pratt's all, Here's how you walk. There's the Skyfall. <laughs> All the townspeople laugh and point at Denzel's holster. As the camera dissolves to that night as the Magnificent Seven eat dinner alone in a cold cafeteria, the comically repulsive bartender hands Swollen Wigwam a plate of chicken beaks and pop rocks. The Indian sniffs it and scowls, white people food. The Asian guy holds up his bag of P.F. Chang's and goes, tell me about it. Chris Pratt nudges D'Onofrio in his face with his elbow, making him spill all the soup he's trying to eat. and goes, hey, what has antlers and sucks blood? A mosquito. 
The Indian looks down at his plate and goes, I guess I'll starve to death. The rest all point and laugh at D'Onofrio's soup till the camera dissolves to Ethan Hawke and Chris Pratt teaching a row of coal miners how to shoot at off-screen bottles. Pratt's all, lesson one, always open with a card trick. Fire! The miners all shoot. Half of them keel over dead. <laughs> Pratt's all, at the bottles! Now, Ethan Hawke, is your character conflicted because of something that happened in the past, or is that just an empty legend? How's the novel writing coming? Ethan Hawke growls, grabs the rifle, and shoots one of the bottles till eventually he hits a rock nowhere near it. Pratt's all, the human psyche's just another deck of cards to me. Fire! One of the coal miners dredges kerosene all over himself, lights a match, and sets himself ablaze. Pratt's all, come on, Lance, you know what I meant. That night on a balcony, Denzel walks up to Ethan Hawke and goes, hey, I heard your character shot a gun this morning. Yes, that's what makes you magnificent. Ethan Hawke's all, yeah, I'm leaving, bye. He gets on a rides out of town. The Asian guy's all, wait, I'm his sidekick. Shouldn't we have had this together? Pratt walks into frame, looks at us, and goes, here's how you guys watch movies. He stares at us till the camera dissolves, the scars guard staring at the village with five million horsemen behind him. One of them's an Indian, but he's not handsome. Skarsgård's nameless second in commands all. Looks like them seven guys who took out 40 of us last time are still here. You think we should use prudence and tactics this time? Skarsgård's all. If God did not want us to have honey, he'd have given bees stingers. He gestures vaguely at all thousand horsemen charge at the village shooting and yee-hawing. In the village, Denzel's all. Now! The church towers tug backwards on a rope by straining coal miners like a catapult. Then they let go, firing the bell containing the Asian guy and Ethan Hawke into the oncoming horsemen and almost hitting one of them. Ethan Hawke's all. By the way, I'm back in the movie, just before he's trampled to death by hook. <laughs> Denzel's all. Now still! Some grass in front of the oncoming cavalry charges slowly dislodged, revealed D'Onofrio and a bunch of coal miners crouched underground in a trench. They start shooting at each other while D'Onofrio grimaces under the weight of the grass tile on his head and finally collapses beneath it, crushed to death. Skarsgård's all, wait, fuck, hang on, I probably should have done this first, and points at a nearby Gatling gun. Signaled by Skarsgård blowing his nose, <laughs> men start firing the Gatling gun into the village that they came to acquire, filling it with holes. Denzel's all, Damn, if only I thought to have someone spy on him and find out about the Gatling gun in advance. <laughs> Looks like we're going to have to really put our heads together. Pratt's all, cover me! While they all watch laughing, he tears across the open fields, expertly dodging the Gatling gun's fusillades by running directly at it. When he's within a few feet, he pauses to take a break, and Skarsgård's guys shoot him repeatedly, then stick a cigarette in his mouth and light it. Skarsgård's all, snorficent, seven. Pratt's all, one-eyed jacks are a type of playing card. His suddenly his cigarette turns out to be a stick of dynamite. He tosses it onto the Gatling gun. One of the gunners is all, don't worry, that's a three-minute fuse, and explodes. Meanwhile, Skarsgård decides to walk into the town and try and turn things around barefoot and unarmed. He finds a church with Denzel lurking behind him in it and scuffles drunkenly with him, while Denzel's all, this is from my sisters-in-law and my mother's pet rock. As Denzel talks, Skarsgård's cunningly reaching for his secret pistol with the free hand of his that Denzel's forgotten to keep an eye on. Suddenly, a gunshot goes off. We see Skyfall Girl standing in the doorway. I guess Skarsgård shot her. The next day, Denzel and his Indian friend in Mexico all looked out at the four crosses of their dead comrades. A villager's all, yeah, I guess we'll bury the other 300 later. 
Speaking of which, about the money satchel, Denzel's all, this ain't about the money. He pats the satchel on his saddle, tips his hat, and rides off with his two ethnic friends towards some distant hills that don't go anywhere. The end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. That was great. Did you see this movie in English or German? Yep. All right, good. (laughs) I had seen the original Magnificent Seven. But then I watched it afterwards. I've never so. seen the original Magnificent Seven. I know Seven Samurai well, but uh, I was assuming, watching this thing, that it was based on the, the Western. When I saw that Akira Kurosawa and his script writers were credited, I, I was pretty astonished because there, there's no point discussing this movie, in, discussing Seven Samurai in the same breath as this movie. I mean, this movie has no similar. I mean, it, it completely yeah. doesn't understand anything about Seven Samurai. So I was just assuming. Magnificent Seven, the, the 1960-whatever movie, is a Yahoo Western, and this is Anton Fuqua, Nick Pizzoletto, and whoever that third guy are, uh, riffing on the Western Magnificent Seven. Um, does it Which have- they're doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, cause in, but it's, the differences are, are interesting, because in the, in the 1961, it's a Mexican village that they're helping, and right. all the Magnificent Seven are white. Except right. for one guy who's a little Mexican, and, and he's like he comes from a farm village. Does the movie so touch on that? Because because in, in yeah. Seven Samurai, the point is they're, they're different classes. Is there's the farmers and there's the warriors. Uh, so does does Magnificent Seven tap into this idea that the 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 seven are others? Not really. It makes them more like it's because they're all played by movie stars. So the whole emphasis is on look how how cool and charming they all are in their different ways but they're all kind of the same sort of guy like it's james coburn and steve mcqueen and charles bronson right so it's like you know there's not as much variety as even i remember being in the between the seven samurai like they all were very distinctive yeah there's no sense of character delineation in that way Uh, you know they they kind of swap around and and this movie does the same thing you know it swaps and they're all white and in this all the white people die which to me is one of the favorite things about it i really liked that I like yeah. that take, and they're trying to save the white people from other white people. That's something you so know. That's, that's something I noticed at the end. Like, oh, great, the three minorities are getting to ride off. And I think Chris Markinson uh, wrote it and said that same thing. That oh, look, well, the Asian dies. The Asian gets shot. I didn't think. I, yeah, I didn't true. even notice when you guys when you guys said it. it didn't even occur to me that everybody white died. I I didn't even occur to me at that point to assume there was going to be any structure to who died or lived. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I guess everybody white and the Asian died. Uh, right. Was was there any rhyme and reason to like at least in the 1960 western to who died and who lived? No, it seemed based on your marquee value because oh, mm. also pulls. Through. That's what I was assuming was going on here in a way as well. And none of them really have a lot of chemistry with each other. Like they all kind of feel like hogs. Like they're yeah. not really. It's it's really it's ironic that it's supposed to be an ensemble movie because it's just like crowded. But it also has more of a goofy tone, I think. Yeah, it's I mean, wacky. Just the music you played at the beginning is, is sort of, you know, uh, is it can give you an idea of how that how the 1960 version feels. That dun 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 dun. It has more of a silly, not silly. Silly might be a little too much, uh, but it it's got more of a of a of a feel of of goofiness to it. The original, time time. Yeah. the nineteen sixty, right, right, right. right. If, uh, when yeah. you say the original, like I kind of think of Seven Seven Samurai, right. um, but uh, but um, well, but so the nineteen sixty version has I know you has more of a sense of sense of humor to it. You, you watched it today too, Dingus. Does the nineteen sixty version like like Seven Samurai is brilliant? And there's a lot of stuff in it, of course, that was just completely missing from here, such as the reluctance of the samurai to actually do it. Uh, 
how how different the samurai were from the villagers. Uh, how the villagers in Seven Samurai are ultimately craven. Like they don't help. They they fall mm-hmm. apart, and the samurai die because of them. like they they get right. let down. There's no there's no heroism by the way in Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai has a has a very sort of bleak ending. Uh, they don't all die, but I think most of them die. And Three, it's not, four of them die. Yeah, and it's not for any good reason. Uh, it's you know it it's kind of this. It's not this heroic adventure. It's just this bleak story uh, about a battle against odds that actually doesn't turn out that well. I mean, they technically win, but the cost is it worth it? Uh, there's this sense of you know these mercenaries that did it, how difficult it was for them to come together. Well, all um, they're doing too is just we're going to be fed for a while. And and is any of that like there's there's none of that. There's nothing here. There, there's no reluctance here for anyone to go on the mission. You're like, yeah, okay. There's yep. no sense here mm-hmm. that the mission. I never got any sense from the movie that there were any meaningful, dangerous stakes. That any of these people were going to die. It just felt like a regular black hat, white hat western with good. Or why they like each other? Well, why that? that yeah, that that, and I think that what you said about together. the six. Well, I actually kind of disagree with both of those things because I think that Denzel Washington knows he's going to his death because he's. He's out for revenge. It's it's that whole thing that Ethan Hawke says: are, are we going to a battle that's behind us or in front of us? I mean, that you know, he's he 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 invokes um, uh, Denzel Washington, uh, Sam Chisholm's uh, sister and family early on, uh, and they have they have a relationship going into this, and you see that in in sort of the way they they embrace early on. I mean, as 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 thin as that is. Uh, but at least you see that as some sort of a an idea that I don't think you see in either of the other two movies. This is this this is a revenge drama in a different way. See, I don't even I, that is just so thin. I mean, that's it's, like, it's, it's like very one, thin. But yeah. th- that's why Sam Chisholm is doing this. It's not right, 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 but everyone else though. Like that, that's the thing. Is then, every, why is everyone else doing it? Is it because he shows them the gold and yeah, like how much money is involved and. Do they care now that the the farmer's going to be poor? That they've given them everything they have? Uh, Do they get the money back? It and, really and also, feels like, yeah. Go ahead, you, Tom. You know, there, there is, what I what I mean is there, there's no sense that these guys are really afraid. There are lines about how, yeah, this is dangerous, this is terrible, but but the tone of the movie, what we've been shown about their prowess at fighting, there's no sense that that any of them are really in danger. Right. Uh, you know, when they waltz into town and then have that ridiculous lack of an action scene where they just hand and handily kill, you know, forty dudes. Why can't they handle whatever Peter uh, uh, Peter Sarsgaard is going to show up with? You know, when they have all these, you know, when they can preternaturally sense one Indian riding towards camp. Uh, what is it that Peter Sarsgaard can use to throw at these guys? You know, where are they vulnerable? The movie never shows us that. We, I never feel like I'm in a movie where a gunshot is going to kill one of these people. Uh, and because I hadn't seen the original and I didn't know if it was going to follow Seven Samurai, I was actually surprised when they let people die. And not in a good way, not like, wow, they're dead, that's dire, but like, what? You're really just going to artificially make this guy die and that guy die for a really stupid, contrived reason at this point? Well, bloodlessly, too, because it's like a super violent movie, but there's no blood. I kind of disagree. There is blood, and yeah, I was actually I a little surprised really? at how much they could get away with yeah. as for a PG-13. I yeah, wonder I w- if I wouldn't things... show this to me. I yeah. thought... Yeah. No, there's a lot uh, of knifey action. There were definitely right. bloody gun wounds. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio getting shot through the the hand. That was like pretty gory. I mean, not gory, but that's a that's like a wince the, the hatchet, special effect. The hatchet throws. I think there were a couple of hatchet yeah. throws. Yeah, yeah. So I, I disagree, Kelly. One. I mean, I think it was I, I think it was about as violent as you can get PG-13 without yeah. tipping into an R. I, and I, 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 I think okay. the lack of fear is a very important 
uh, a very important thing that you bring up. Uh, and this is something that I really wanted to talk about because I think uh, the presence of fear in uh, Seven Samurai and even in the 1960 Magnificent Seven is important, especially on the part of the villagers, but also on the part of the samurai themselves. Um, because uh, one of the things that's missing from this movie and is kind of a relief for me a little bit is that lack of fear of the rape of the women. And that's a huge part of uh, the motivation of the farmers and being fearful for their daughters in Seven Samurai and uh, also a big part of the Mexican villagers in the 1960s. Yeah, they evacuate them. They evacuate them and hide them. them. And the dudes all get there and they're like, how come there's no women here? Oh, well, whatever. And then, um, you know, the the young guy, um, the young goofy guy, uh, finds one of the women accidentally, and they're like, oh, you guys hid them all. Well, let's bring them on in. Uh, yeah, they were afraid you were going to rape them. Um, and I think, uh, oh, God, who is it? Um, not Charles Bronson. One of them goes, yeah, we might have, but you might have given us the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah. But that whole fear in The Seven Samurai of, you know, that that one farmer who, like, razors his daughter's hair off uh, because he's afraid of her being raped by the samurai. Um, well, that raises not, the stakes. I mean, that's yeah. being aware of the stakes and, you know, death and rape and pillaging. And that's that's what they're afraid of. I mean, that's what the risk they have to live with. And that establishes what the samurai are up against. Um, and they're samurai. Yeah, and it's that whole idea too, like a like they have a whole honor code, right? Machine, warrior so, class, and um, this magnificent seven. But it also, there's this interesting sequence in the 1961 where they get uh, Eli Wallach's the bad guy, and he's Mexican too, and he brings in like all the troops, and they but they basically emasculate the magnificent seven and yeah. take their guns and make them give up, and then they go, okay, write them out of ten, then give them their guns back, and then at that scene they go, all right, let's go back and kill them, but it's yeah. like they would have all died. And also, they should have died, too, because they killed a bunch of those guys. So it seems crazy that they would just... But since they're the great white movie stars, it's they really, get like, It's really a goofy uh, resolution to, to Yeah, does that happen in Seven town. Samurai? No. Is there... That's so crazy that that would... It's so... In Seven Samurai, they set up a... It's basically a siege, right? Right. Yeah, it's a super long one, too. It's super yeah. elaborate. It's great action sequences. I mean, so not, I not just like we stumbled upon a mine and now we have a thousand pounds of dynamite. It's they, they have to set up a whole bunch of things. Right. See, that's kind of better. <laughs> uh, I also thought this was a worst-case scenario of ensemble filmmaking because uh, I've got – one of the reasons, too, that movies like uh, – what's the one where they're all in Nazi prison? The, uh, a Great Escape. Like, like Great Escape doesn't work for me when I watch something like that because I don't have this frame of reference where I think, yeah, Charles Bronson is a super badass. Yeah, Steve McQueen, he's really cool. I don't have that, that baggage or that, that sort of background. So I watch this movie that just takes it as a given that you're going to watch and you're going to think Charles Bronson is cool. Steve McQueen is a badass, and I don't know what's going on. It doesn't work for me. In this movie – I would get if I didn't know these other actors, I would have no indication why they're in these parts. I would have no sense of Chris Pratt's charm or humor yeah. of Denzel Washington's the this sort of nobility that he carries to his characters. I would have no sense of that. Uh, I guess I would know Vincent D'Onofrio as a goofball, but I don't know why uh, who the Mexican actor was. I don't know who the Asian actor was. I don't know who the American Indian actor were. Uh, just ensemble filmmaking that does nothing to take advantage of what actors have to offer. Uh, this yeah. movie did not appreciate in the least what these actors could do. And even 
um, you know, we, we, you guys, we've all seen Equalizer, and Equalizer is pretty terrible, but at least Equalizer gives you a sense when you're watching it. Well, yeah, this Denzel Washington actor, he's a, he's a pretty badass guy, and I can see how he's kind of watchable. And the director knows he's cool, and we're going to make a movie about how he's cool, and we're going to appreciate that in this movie, even though it's a dopey movie. None of that here. Yeah. I mean, and I, even in Jurassic World, I got a little bit of a sense what Chris Pratt could do. Um, here, just nothing. And it was really sad to just see him just completely wasted. It just nothing was done with him. It's like Antoine Fuqua had never even heard of him before, didn't know who he was. <laughs> that, that is the most frustrating thing about this movie for me. But by the way, Tom, John Sturgis directed the 1960 um, uh, Magnificent Seven. He also directed uh, Great Escape, by the way. Oh, well, there Same you go. Director. I like Great Escape. Is he yeah. related to Preston Sturges? Uh, boy, I have no idea. Okay. But, but uh, Great Escape, I think, is 63, so maybe he'll... Kelly, one real quick, and, and I guess I want to get back to what you're going to say, but do you like Great Escape because you, you like those guys, or do, what? Both. I think it's a really good movie, okay. and it's it's like an early... I don't know how big Charles Bronson was at the time, but it's like Donald Pleasance is in it. Like, you don't really know. It, it's kind of... it's There's a little more unpredictability to who lives and who dies in that movie. That, to be fair, yeah, yeah. when they when they take a bunch of them out in the field and just mow them down with a machine gun. It's right. like, whoa, that's kind of heavy. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so that's the thing is... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, just it feels way more studio-y. Yeah. Like, they, they'd already lost the point of Seven Samurai. Right. But in this, they're trying to remake that and not Seven Samurai. Well, but that, that's why it surprised me that Kurosawa and his, his, his scriptwriters are credited scripted. instead of the original writer... Of Magnificent Seven, who isn't credited? Uh, no, he's not, and several of his lines appear in this movie. Yeah, that's uh, true. I wonder what the mechanics are where they get around not crediting him. I've never been offered everything before. Yeah, never if they got it, let him sheared, they would have made him sheep. Yep, exactly. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of lines from the original mm-hmm. movie that lifted that, you know, that show up in here, and I've forgotten ah. that. And as I'm and so writing the down things, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good line. That's a pretty good line. And then when I'm watching it later today after seeing the movie, I'm like, oh, okay, this is from that. Okay, this is from the. You know what? Because I have a whole good writing, bad writing thing I was interested in doing. I'm curious how many of these are from Magnificent the Seven, original. 1960. That's hilarious. Okay, so Dingus, uh, get back to, to Chris Pratt. You were going to talk about how frustrating that was. Oh, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, one of the things you know. I, I, I uh, had a good night call with my uh, my son tonight. He's a huge Chris Pratt fan for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, uh, from uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy to Parks and Recreation to Jurassic World. Um, uh, by the way, do you know that there's another dude who was in Parks and Rec who's also in this, Tom? No. Uh, would I, is it someone like Big Justin in Green Room, like that kind of little part? Uh, no, it's it's uh, it's a fairly big part. It's Jonathan Joss. Um, he's the bad guy Native American dude. Oh, um, who's he in Parks and Rec? He plays the Wampanoag uh, representative. Oh. <laughs> oh. And when I was watching the movie, it totally took me out of the movie because I'm thinking of him doing. Never these, seen his arms before. Uh, I, I just recognize his face, and he is indeed. And he plays a guy named Denali, uh, which is weird because the. Uh, the dude who plays um, uh, the other Native American guy, um, Red Harvest, is actually from Alaska. He's a Native American from Alaska. But uh, Jonathan Joss plays a guy named Denali uh, in this movie, and he's and he's the guy from Parks and Rec. That is hilarious. Yeah, I can totally see that now. Uh, but anyway, uh, my my son is asking me, well, how's Chris 
Pratt? How's Chris Pratt? And I'm like, he's fine, but he's I, for me, I think he's totally miscast. Um, yeah, because of where he is in his career. Now, if you're, you're going to get Andy Dwyer in the early like tubby days of Parks and Rec to to do some goofy stuff, maybe. Uh, but what you need is is a guy like um, uh, Toshiro Mifune, who is just so crazy. Uh, you need that 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 level of of crazy anarchy, and that's one of the ways I first um, described watching. Uh, Seven Samurai, because I link it to a movie that I would put as my over, and it's a pretty high over, which is Silverado, and that is Kevin Costner's performance in that movie, because he's got that same weird anarchy of spirit where uh, you you just don't know what that guy's going to do. He's he's weird. He's he doesn't quite know who he is yet. He's figuring out who he is, and that's what. Um, that's what Shiro Mifune's doing in Seven Samurai. I mean, he's trying to figure out who he is, and he's doing weird things. I mean, he's the one who sets off the false alarm. He does all these great weird things, and he's and he's just he's just crazy. Uh, but he's also reliable in that he has skills. And Chris Pratt should be playing that character, but he can't play that character right now. So they should have had somebody to play that character who could be who could be crazy and wacky, uh, and they didn't. And I was so frustrated watching him just do like little dumb, like mini jokes, like about cards or, or I mean, it, it was just. <laughs> It was just they, quiet joking. He's not good in period pieces, is my other thing. He's like Michael Douglas, where he's no, just he's, too much of... I think nah. he's fine in period pieces. I just think at the level I, of the career he's at right now, he can't play somebody crazy. They were, I think that that's a problem. They referred to him a couple of times as, like, they mentioned having, a, like, an Irishman. I was like, wait, which one of them is the Irishman? Like, I had yeah. no idea. You would have no idea if someone didn't say this out loud that he's supposed to be the drunken Irishman. Right. Uh, and that, it, yeah, like a Richard Harris kind of thing, I guess is what they're. He doesn't saying. even act drunk. No, no, he really. Yeah, but he, he does he at one. He does at one point when yeah, he's exactly coming right. off the saddle after the, the Marias. Like, the, this, got, just don't disrespect Maria a bit. Yeah, you've got one and a half days, uh, two days. Let's have half a day of drinking. And this is something that our listener Chris Webb said as well. He's after seeing him in all these different movies, he'd really like to see him do something different, like playing a character that isn't likable or charming. Um, but I just would have liked him to see like to see him do something goofy. I mean, somebody goofy in this role would have been great. Like a Murdoch or something. Like, I, I, like Charlotte Copley. Oh, good lord. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This movie <laughs> did... Well, this movie had no humor. No sense of None. humor. None. Uh, it was so serious. And that was another problem. It's not Fuqua's thing. Is, uh, uh, Fuqua's thing. I, I don't... I don't. He's miscast. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling a lot with the tone of the movie. Like, like okay, I get it. I... Make it- Man's Western. Well, oh, that's the thing is, I, 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 what, I would characterize this movie as, uh, if there is one thing worse than pandering tokenism, it is tepid pandering tokenism. Yeah. Like this is supposed to be a wacky adventure movie about a mismatched group of people who would be considered outsiders or others in the old west and and yeah you're right it's like the these people against the white man's institution kind of and and that's Anton Fuqua's thing and that's fine but it just felt so weak and pandering and pointless yeah. and it's just so ineffectual i guess is my main problem and random yeah. and random now my under for this is hateful eight because hateful eight is just painfully bad in certain ways and it is so full of self-importance and it just has such a weird tone but at least there, there's a lot of pandering tokenism in Hateful Eight, but at least there's there's this sense of Quentin Tarantino's just kind of ineffectual like anger and energy buzzing around in there somewhere. I mean, even though Hateful Eight 
is just overlong and tedious and, and just heavy and ponderous at times, it's still got that kind of Tarantino patter to it. Um, this just had nothing to it like that. Wait, so then take hey, Flight should be your over. Well, no, because I, I have a, I, at least – like Hateful Eight is is – like actively annoying and painful to watch. Like I, I think the problem with Hateful Eight is Quentin Tarantino. I think is probably smarter than that. Like I, I think that Tarantino, if you were to sit down and have a conversation with him about the stupid things he's saying in Hateful Eight, he would be smart enough to know better. I think. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I don't. I think this right here is exactly what I would expect from Anton Fuqua. Yeah, and right. that's why my that's under true. is is an Antoine Fuqua movie that I saw for the first time this week called Tears of the Sun. Have you guys Ew. seen this movie? That Bruce Willis oh, thing about no. yeah, yeah. Is it about um, or something. What'd you say? Is it about Africa or something? Yeah, yeah, and it and it has uh, some similar has some connective tissue here because it's uh you know Bruce Willis and his team of Navy SEALs or whatever they are going in to rescue this uh, doctor from this African village before the, this village gets ethnically cleansed by other Nigerians. And he has to like get them all out, but he has to just get her out. But, but she's like, she insists on getting everybody out. So he has to get all of the villagers out and save all the villagers and his, you know, his, his team of soldiers basically gets wiped out as they do this. Um, but the, the heavy handedness, the utter unbelievable heavy handedness, it's just an overbearing movie from from uh soup to nuts um it, there are things that are okay about it i mean uh, monica bellucci's in it that's pretty good about it um but th- there's a moment in this movie at the beginning when uh peter sarsgaard is going um uh, democracy is based on capitalism and capitalism based on god and you're standing in the way of god and i'm just like oh really are you, you're gonna preach to us you, i mean it's not him from the pulpit it's Fuqua from the pulpit, right, right. and he does some of that same stuff with that Africa stuff, and uh, I, I just find that unbearable. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is too, like I, I'm normally okay with if you want to have if you want to marginalize the female character, that that's fine. If you're going to be just a dumb action movie, that's fine. But if you are going to supposedly wear on your sleeve this idea that uh, that Asians and blacks and Native Americans and Irishmen should be acknowledged. Why are you so ham-handed with your female character? Like, why is Haley Bennett magnificent cleavage? I'll, I'll give her that. But good Lord, all of the scenes with her. At the very end when she shoots Peter Sarsgaard, uh, and Denzel Washington walks up to her, and I don't understand what's going on here. And he takes the gun from her, and it's almost like this. Here, little lady, you better let me handle that. that happened in Jason yeah. Bourne too. And then he hands the gun understand. to, to, to uh, I forget one of the other male characters. I think like the the, the uh, young farmer guy who's her sidekick. Yeah. But th- this movie's just so. And there's the one. I think it's supposed to be like flirty scene with Chris Pratt and Haley Bennett. That goes nowhere. Oh my god! Yeah, and it's. It, That's a waste. Well, this movie has no sexuality to it whatsoever. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, and and that moment that bothered me too, Tom. I was just like, why? Because I, I remember that from Jason Bourne as well. Because Alicia Vikander shoots what's his name, and then Jason Bourne goes and helpfully takes them. Let me take the gun now. I'll See, that's almost worse though, because in the Vikander case, she's supposed to be an agent. And so she should like that's her job. But like in this, you can maybe go. Well, Denzel's trying to go. All right, it's over now. You've killed your first something. No, but what, like, she, what she should have done is go. This is my gun, bitch. What are you doing? Yeah, I didn't know. Like, I, that's the thing. Is I was yeah. wondering why well, she picked up someone else's gun because because she has a gun. She's got her own gun that she's fighting with. Like, why on earth does he take it? It makes no sense. Yeah, this character is also an idiot now. 
and which they have she, that whole target shooting thing with Chris Pratt, where which I think is kind of cool. She's like, you know, I had a father, I didn't. You know that you know that whole thing of uh, you know every time you kill a man you never stop the nightmares of those silly lines. But she's shooting, she's showing her competence. I mean, she yeah. knows what she's doing, and she does that throughout the movie. And I wish they just would have let her do what she said she was going to do with, which is if you know if uh, if Goodnight Robichaux is going to leave, then I'll take his place. Right. Right. But we know he's leaving just so he can come back. Yeah, even, of course. Even of that, course. by the way, is so incompetent because it was like, like Kelly mentioned in, this, in the synopsis. I didn't. I thought he was going to come back and like save someone, but no, he just like shows up in the middle of the fight somewhere. And I, I didn't even realize at one point. I was like, oh yeah, he came back, and I didn't even really notice when he had come back. Well, like, he, I thought he, I was there's be, this like slow motion jump over the bales of burning hay. And he does, like Kelly just said, just yell Gatling gun over and over again. And, and we have a listener who's, who's writing in, I think for the first time, his name's Josh L. Um, and, and he says something that Kelly joked about in the synopsis. And he's, and he says, you know, why didn't they go ahead and use the Gatling gun first? I mean, right. why send in a hundred guys to uh, carefully to just die in slaughtered ground? And, and then when most of them die, then get the Gatling gun. Why not just use the Gatling gun? I have two answers for that, by the way. There, there are good answers for that question. It's a good All question. Right. They're All right, answers. Josh. Here you go, Josh. Josh, the first reason, Antoine Fuqua has no idea how to do action. That's one reason. The second reason is he seems to be under the misconception that a Gatling gun is no different than, say, an AC-130 Spectre gunship. You know, the, the, the power of this Gatling gun, they even imply at one point that the children in the basement are at peril from a Gatling gun. Right, like, right. like this Gatling These gun. These are armor-piercing rounds. It, not just, yeah, exactly. They'll go through walls. It doesn't matter what side of the city you're on. Uh, it doesn't matter what yeah. buildings you're, you're behind. This yeah. Gatling gun shoots through everything. It, 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 it has laser-finding bullets. You know, they will zero in on exactly who they need to hit. Uh, mm-hmm. Anton Fuqua has no idea what a Gatling gun is. Apparently, Ethan Hawke knew, though, because he knew it, it was... It's easy to move it, too. And he just uh, does just ride around going, Gatling gun, Gatling gun, Gatling gun. Yeah, I, like that, that's like that's a call, kind of like air raid or... or That'd be the easiest thing to take you know, out. Mustard that's gas. The- like That's something that they would know to be afraid of as soon as you hear the word Gatling gun. Hit the ground, <laughs> and moving it would would have slowed that group down by another six weeks. I was on a, a oh, I see, yeah, 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 take. absolutely. How are they? How are they riding? How are they beating feet with a Gatling gun? Oh, yeah, Denzel Washington's all okay. They're coming this morning because I did all the math in my head. But it's like they had brought a Gatling gun, so his math should have been way off since he didn't know about it because his character's stupid. We know. Have you guys seen? Have you guys seen Agarra Wrath of God? Because one of the the lovely touches in that. Is that Klaus Kinski has has him carrying a cannon, like in in all the yeah. shots of like the conquistadors and the native bearers carrying the baggage and stuff. Some of the stuff they're struggling to get through the jungle, and it's just very Fitzcarraldo kind of thing. Right. Some of the guys are carrying a cannon, a big iron cannon that they're porting with them. You feel uh, bad for because you know Herzog is basically the conquistador making his right. crew. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. There's and some themselves going. Ugh! That's some method acting, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, Fuqua just has no sense of. Um, space. So, well, space or composition. Just yeah. how to do a shot. All of this is just like flat out just coverage and occasional close ups of faces. Like, I don't, I, I'm not. But the ice stuff in King Arthur was good. And I remember in that training. A, that's, a, that's a really positive part of that movie. You're right. That ice stuff in King Arthur is really, really cool. And it's but, CG, even, and it's better than. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like the idea of like they just walk into town. 
and somehow out ambush 40 guys. Like, that's kind of Silverado-y. But it's hard for me to get it. When I think about that sequence in my mind, it's impossible for me to tell where they're standing. Because it's ineptly shot. It's just, here's second unit footage of a dude's getting shot. Let's splice And it shouldn't matter. They should be positioning themselves. I I, I did something I almost never do this last week, and I watched a documentary. And the documentary isn't – I watch it because it's not really even a documentary. It's just like 90 minutes of Brian De Palma talking. Uh, it's called De Palma, Noah Baumbach, and, and Jake Paltrow uh, just put together, and they just sat in a room with him, and they talked to him for a while. And they put together a lot of what he's saying, talking about all of his movies, including stuff like Mission to Mars, which is hilarious to listen to him talk about. Uh, but he talked about how uh, Pacino was injured when they were shooting uh, Scarface. So for two weeks, Pacino had to recover in the hospital. I forget what the injury was, but he didn't have Pacino for two weeks. So he just did shots of people shooting guns and getting shot. And I've never seen Scarface, but Apparently there's a big old – and they showed bits of it – shootout, which was just all this footage of people getting shot when Pacino isn't even there that he splices together. Uh, That's and that, how the whole movie feels. Scarface? Yeah. Yeah, well, that I was – because Brian De Palma should know better. Like Brian De Palma does great – you know, the, the bit with the baby carriage in Untouchables, for instance. Like he has a great yeah. sense of, of spatial awareness and who's seen what where. And so I was thinking that must have been really painful in a Brian De Palma movie. If that's kind of what he had to work with, it's just random footage of people getting shot. And that's what this felt like. Hmm. Just like here's just shots of people getting shot, yeah. no sense of who's standing where in relation to whom. It's just all spliced together. Uh, yeah, it's annoying because in a gunfight you want to see, oh, is he really drawing faster? And even, at least in Magnificent Seven, the 1961, there's like full shots of people drawing guns on each other. Right, right. And you can, go, you can evaluate the speed and just go, I wonder how many takes it took him for delay to be that fast. But in this, it's like it's always like they draw it again, and then there's the cutaway of somebody getting falling over. And I think he's way more preoccupied with showing them holstering it with a fancy spin, too. Yeah, that's the easy draw. part. <laughs> I know that doesn't impress me. I don't understand what the point. I could do is, that. By the way, all I can think of is I would take that time to put a couple new rounds in. Right. I mean, yeah. Why are you spinning your gun around? Uh, there was a, yeah. Th- yeah. There was no reload. There was like one bit where I think it shows Denzel Washington doing some reloading business. That was, a, uh, that was actually a cool bit of business where he spins yeah. the chamber to to drop out the the spent shells. The- uh, I'll give you one bit of cool. But here's one good thing I liked in this movie. One moment I was like, oh yeah, that was kind of cool. I loved the bit where, you know, I did. The use of, of, uh, of an American Indian and a Mexican and a, a black man, all that just felt like stupid tokenism to me. And the, the idea that Ethan Hawke's character has uh, an Asian sidekick, not just tokenism, but tokenism for the purposes of getting this movie in Chinese theaters. Uh, uh. That, and, and also the fact that I just thought, oh, okay, so he's like – it's almost like he was his pet. I just hated that, but I liked it. When Ethan Hawke refuses to shoot, and the Asian guy walks up and looks at the rifle and says, oh, it was jammed, to cover for him. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It kind of spins around this idea. Who's taking care of whom here? Right, right. Uh, I loved that little moment, and that belongs oh, to a better movie. That. Yeah, he yeah, looks yeah. at it, and, he just, and he, he just chambers it, and he just says, oh, jammed. Uh, yep. And I think he's it's in front of – I forget if it's in front of Chris Pratt or whomever. But he's trying to help a- Ethan Hawke save face because he obviously wasn't shooting because he wanted to be – it's you know, definitely in front of Faraday. It's definitely in front of Chris Pratt. Okay, right. Chris Pratt's standing behind um, Goodnight saying – Oh, right, saying take, take the, the shot. shot. Take, take the, the shot. shot. Yeah, exactly. Take the shot. And you get that sense that um, uh, his name is Billy Rocks. Uh, is it, There is that sense right at that moment that it flips a little, that, that oh, 
this is who's been taking care of whom. And I and this is this is something that uh, Chris Markinson said as well. I love Byung-hung Lee in this. I love this guy. Do we know him from somewhere? Like why? So obviously for the Chinese box office, but is he is he known for a part that we would know? Well, I know him from something that I know that I talked about quite a few. Uh, a podcast ago called G.I. Joe Retaliation, oh. where he plays Storm Shadow, and he's really good in it. He's really good as Storm Shadow in G.I. Joe Retaliation, which is a movie that I actually liked uh, quite a bit more than I expected to. Um, but uh, but he's also been in, um, oh gosh, oh, I think he was in one of the Terminator movies, whatever the last Terminator movie we saw. Uh, he played one of the one of the Terminators in that. Um, Kelly White. Did you, like how, did you like how Dingus thought we should know who Storm Shadow was? Yeah, I was – the second time he said it, I was trying to picture a Storm Shadow. <laughs> is, Dingus, is that one of your favorite G.I. Joes? <laughs> yes, he's one of my favorite. How many are there? <laughs> well, there's the guy who was also in uh, that dancing movie with male strippers that I really love. Be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, can I do good writing, bad writing with you guys then? Yeah. Before you do that, can Uh-oh. I just do something real quick? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have another listener, Chris Webb, who's talking about something that you brought up, Tom, about Sucker Punch. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> where this, I'm listening. This feels like it's a video game where so that that looks like somebody doesn't really play them, but knows what they look like right like it has no rules um so that uh, this movie's end battle was like at rts or a mova where uh, if you don't know what they are the denzel and the others just ride around the town shooting bad guys without any strategy or any consequences so chris webb just wanted to yeah. put that out there for you it really yeah. it really is uh it, yeah it, it it is just I mean, yeah, video gaming at its worst in, in the worst sense of the word. Because I actually was watching this, and I, I don't mean to bring this down to video games, but there, there's a really, really good uh, example don't they bring of this down to video games. How dare you? Well, well, most video games are really dopey uh, as far as like telling stories, and there's there are great video games that give you a sense of the empowerment, that sort of male empowerment. Well, any empowerment fantasy, male or female, that, that comes with guns. Like lots of video games are about, hey, how cool is it to have a gun and shoot people? But there's one video game, and I, I watched this movie, and I really resent the fact that it can't even reach this bar. But there's a video game called Red Dead Redemption that a company named Rockstar, known for the Grand Theft Auto series, made, which has this expansive appreciation for the genre of westerns. And it's a video game, and it's an open world, and it has all sorts of different like styles of westerns in different areas, and it has an amazing main character. And the ending of Red Dead Redemption is an actual beautiful bit. And if you haven't played, if you're going to play Red Dead Redemption, well, first of all, I'm going to. It's not a spoiler because it's been so long ago. But Red Dead Redemption does a really cool, bleak, existential thing. That even shows that it's aware of westerns like Unforgiven, and it kills its main character. In Red Dead Redemption, at some point, you die, and you can't do anything about it. You're just dead, and then you play your own son, avenging your your death, which is an amazing little touch, and it's something video games can't do. So watching this, I was resenting the fact that this isn't even as good as a a video game, Red Dead Redemption. Hmm. I just felt cheated by that whole, and this is why I brought up the Chris, what Chris Webb said, uh, that whole 
that whole sequence where Denzel is riding through town and just he just shoots off to the side and then there's a there's an intercut. He's shooting between two buildings and he happens yeah. to hit a guy yeah. and he goes down behind his horse. He shoots. There's no way to do that. I mean, you can't just shoot like that. That's not the way shooting works. You can't just <laughs> like shoot between Statham two and buildings. the dinghy in mechanic. <laughs> well, the thing is, thing is, if you're going to have that in a movie, if you're going to have this sort of whimsical. Uh, actiony stuff. At least make it exciting. You know, yeah. if you're gonna have Denzel doing goofy side writing, shooting stuff, and magically hitting stuff, give it some energy. Give it some excitement. You know, give us a director who has a sense of action. Nope, it's it's stupid and boring. Uh, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. And and that's at least what you get from the music. Uh, and, and the sense of the idea in the 1960s version, because there, there's the moment where like somebody, I think it's Steve McQueen, has to do a hop, skip, and a jump to get on his saddle. You know yeah. that kind of that kind of move, and you you get a sense of energy from that. Whereas this music in this movie, it, it just is ponderous. There was, yeah, I mean, and they didn't do the actual that jaunty. Uh, Elmer Bernstein bit until the very end, by the, the way. Until the very like, end, yes, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, I guess is good because that does – there is a definite tone that Elmer Bernstein, which even though I haven't seen it, like I know from that little ditty, like I know, oh, this is that kind of Western. Like that sounds right. exciting and playful good times. and fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And also it's like at least in this 1961, like they're all kind of different body types. It's like James Coburn's super lanky, and they all have like a different sort of way of fighting a little bit. Mm -hmm. But in this, every, all the characters are just like – Super fast with guns. Well, except, except for, for the guy dressed Freda. like a bear, yeah. Right, but they don't have to like aim. Like they're just right. they all have kind of the same style. Like they're all Legolas. Like it's just they're defined by their weapon look. <laughs> they're all you're gonna say you should have gone with that. They're all Legolas. <laughs> like, they're all Legolas. <laughs> all right. Did you guys recognize Vincent D'Onofrio when he showed up? There's no warfare. Only from the uh, the the credits listing the actors in advance. When he showed up, I didn't. But I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, yeah. What's he doing with that voice? I don't know, but at least it's almost like he was—he had a sense for how stupid the movie was, and he's like, "Okay, I'm going to do a dumb voice. Try and stop me." <laughs> I don't know what that was. Yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, let's do some good writing, bad writing. Okay, good. Let's do this. First of all, I have to read the disclaimer. Uh, good writing, bad writing is not to be used in any fiduciary, financial, academic, or medical capacity. It's strictly a subjective enterprise based on the perspective of one person with an advanced degree in an unrelated field, but from an accredited institution of higher learning that happens to be Ivy League. Although the findings of good writing, bad writing are negotiable, all decisions are final, official, and binding. Yeah. All right. First line of – That's good writing. <laughs> that was not – no, that was not a – that was a legal disclaimer. My well, lawyer uh, – It's fast writing anyway. Shadowcat. Here we go. What a merry band we are. Good writing – Dingus, I'll let you go first. Good writing or bad writing? Good. Kelly Wand, what a merry band we are. Good writing or bad writing? Bad. Dingus, why do you say it's good? Because uh, it sounds like it might be ironic. Ah, I see. Well, in the, in the context, though – it was telling us something that should be showing us. Like we, we don't need you to lamp to, to make the observation that you're a merry band. Or at one point, I think they're a raggedy, but like they're, they, they have to say, and, and uh, they have to say at one point even, oh, we're bonding. Like they, should, the script shouldn't have to tell us that. It should be showing us that stuff. So the thing is, if it had been ironic, I would have agreed with you. There's no irony in this script, though. Uh, it's like when Garrett Dillahunt in Tron Legacy went big door. But see, that's funny though. Yeah, you don't think like when band, it wasn't funny when though. Ethan Hawke says, oh, "Well, it seems like we're bonding." You don't think that's ironic? Uh, I don't think that Nick Pizzoletto knows that's ironic. Uh, uh -oh. It's you, unlike Kelly and I. 
you, you got to see Nick Pizzolatto at his best because you weren't looking at Nick Pizzolatto. You were looking at Kerry Fukunaga when you saw the first oh. season of True Detective. Once Kerry Fukunaga left to do other things, Kelly Wand and I suffered through the second season of True Detective, which is unadulterated Nick Pizzolatto, and it is terrible. Oh. Yeah. That's terrible. Uh, so I think that's – yeah, that uh, – oh, look. We didn't suffer alone. We did not. It's right. It was a communal thing. A lot of people were there. A lot of people, Watching. yes. Yes. Um, all right. I'm going to give you guys a few folksy aphorisms. One of them is not terrible. I want to see if you can pick from them which one is not terrible. You ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly Wan, you'll get to pick first. Um, don't call the alligator big mouth till you've crossed the river. Maybe they want to make sure the candle is lit before blowing out the match. Or what we lost in the fire we'll find in the ashes. One of those is good writing. Can you pick out which one? I like the first one. Don't call the alligator big mouth till you've crossed the river? Yeah. Afraid that's not it. Dingus, one of these is not bad writing. <laughs> Maybe they want to make sure the candle is lit before blowing out the match, or what we lost in the fire we'll find in the ashes. Which of those folksy aphorisms is not terrible? Well, because the last one reminded me of a terrible movie, mm-hmm. um, I would say the candle one is better. You saw what we lost in the things we lost in the fire? I tried to. Good lord! Well, I don't know why you would have done that. Uh, although that's Susanna Beer, I love that di- that director. Uh, you're you're right, Dingus, because what we lost in the fire we'll find in the ashes. That makes no sense because what you lost in the fire is the ashes, and they're ashes, and they're no longer what you lost. Like it's a terrible thing to tell someone to comfort them. Kelly, Wan, why? Did, I don't understand that. Don't call the alligator big mouth till you've crossed the river. If, it don't talk shit to the alligator till your the danger's passed. But an alligator right. has a big mouth. Like why is that talking shit to an alligator? It literally, it physically has a big mouth. Like, why would the alligator feel insulted about that? Um. Well, how else do you insult it? It's like, it's, it's how it's, Chris it's Pratt says it walks. Because he's saying, you know, what what is it in response to, you know, something about I wouldn't trust anybody who buries somebody above the ground. Well, we're not out of their territory yet, so so don't trash talk them. Right. Cool it. Let's cool it with the trash. But, talk but that's what I mean is here. why is calling an alligator big mouth? Like analogous to trash talking, I didn't get that. What I'm getting at is that I think maybe they want to make sure the candle is lit before blowing out the match. Yeah. That was a cool image. That yeah. makes sense. That represents caution. That's a, that's a bit of homespun wisdom. Right. That is a folksy aphorism that I feel is not terrible. The other ones I didn't get. I, I still. What we lost in the fire, we'll find in the ashes. I. What? That's just. That's, that's about their death. I mean, Denzel is talking about their death. He's right. talking about the fact that they are going to die, and that what we lose, spiritual. what we lose in this life, we'll find in the next. Um, and the problem with the line really is that he's already tried to sway uh, Robichaux by saying this, and Robichaux's like, look, you can't, you can't sway me with the, the crap that you tell those other guys. We know each other. I'm out of here. That's it. And so he still keeps doing this silly stuff that he's talking about. I understand the intent thing is, but just the mechanics of metaphor. I think it's, it's terrible. What we lost in the fire we'll find in the ashes. Well, uh, it's just like what we lost in this life we'll find in the next. But ashes, it's so the yeah, ashes, ashes represent the, ashes the next dust life. To dust. It's, but it's, ashes, but it's, ashes are the, is when something is lost and it's bereft of its spirit. Like we, we come from nothing. We, we go like it, ashes is not a positive thing in any way, shape, or form. It's just the it's the ruination of what existed before the fire. I just don't. I yeah. I, I know, but maybe I, the I, alligator sense is trying to call back to what that, <laughs> that earlier ham-handed thing about dust. Okay, well, Dingus, let me then throw this one at you. What do you think of? I was just checking we're fighting the battle in front of us, not behind. Yeah, I like that. Kelly Wan, do you agree or do you disagree? Good writing or bad writing? Uh, 
Yeah, that one's alright. Yeah, I liked it too. I so it's a, I think it's a I good get it. like buddy cop thing. Is is that from the original uh, Magnificent Seven? No. Yeah. There's, no, there was no, revenge there's no revenge plot crap in yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, what I also liked about that. <laughs> what I also liked about that is we hadn't had explained to us like a revenge plot, like all that. This was hinting at uh, some sort of ulterior motive. I think it had been referenced once before, but it, it wasn't – it was implying something without hitting us over the head with it. And I, I liked the placement of it, and, and I liked the actual writing. Uh, and I also like the way Ethan Hawke delivers the line. I like the way – I like him in this movie. I think he's good in it. Um, I, I pretended he, he and have... Denzel Washington were the ancestors of their training. That's... <laughs> <laughs> For fun. See, because I'm, I'm like I would, I wanted to like him in it, but that's the thing is he and he and Denzel Washington should have had some more of a sense of chemistry or connection, and I think part of it is the script didn't really allow yeah, for that. Right. But there was a couple of scenes with just the two of them talking, and I just didn't have any sense that yeah, these actors knew each other, they've worked well together before. Yeah, well, you know, you, really you guys are absolutely right. I, I watched I think three Antoine Fuqua movies this week. I did not watch Training Day, and I totally didn't remember they were in it together until yeah, Kelly yeah. Wan just said that. Kelly Wan, how about this line? Go make me some eggs. <laughs> and uh, if you need, that's when uh, when uh, they're being taught to shoot. Uh, is it? I forget. I forget if it's Chris Pratt or Ethan Hawke that says this. He's frustrated at one of the the farmer's shooting abilities, and he takes him off the line and says, "Go make me some eggs." Is that good writing or bad writing? Um, I guess it's neutral. Okay, I'll say. I mean, you know, it's – Now, you know if you say neutral, you're going to be wrong because this is not good writing, neutral writing, bad writing. You're welcome to choose that, but it will not be a correct – Okay, I don't see how it's good writing, so I'm going to say bad writing. Okay. Dingus, go make me some eggs. Good writing or bad writing? I think it's good writing. I think it's hilarious. It was funny. It was this cute little touch that, that there is a domestic – say, you know, somebody's got to cook. You know, somebody – they've got to have dinner at time. I mean it sort of references that there are day-to-day lives going on here, and one of the guys who sucks at shooting, he's going to be the guy who has to go prepare the meal. And yeah, they're going to eat eggs later. I liked that as well, so I'm with Dingus on this one. I thought it was a non-sequitur because I didn't know, like, why is it eggs in particular? That's the thing because it was specific. Specificity I want eggs. are often synonymous. And yeah. he was a big fan of the movie Super. <laughs> I don't get that. They ate eggs in Super? Oh, very good, Dingus. Very good. Kevin Bacon and uh, Rain Wilson with eggs. Dingus, you, you are capable of some deep pulls. <laughs> All right, Dingus, here's get one. Get the yolk. Dingus? Kelly, that was way too easy. You don't get credit. Uh, that was bad writing. Hmm. Uh, Dingus, how about that whole so far so good recurring bit? Good writing, bad writing? It's totally stolen from the 60s one. By the way, it's a 10-story building in the 1961. <laughs> <laughs> Inflation, and they only used it, I think, once. And the, the fact that it's used so many times, I, I, I really started to flip off the movie screen every time Chris Pratt said it. Yeah, I think it's horrible. Not nice, Ke- Kelly. Want good writing or bad writing? Uh. What's the line? I forgot. Well, it's a story about the man jumps off the five, falls off a five-story building, and it's reported that on the fall down at each story, they hear him yelling, "So far, so good," as he falls. Yeah, that's good. I kind of I love the story, and I'm not surprised that it's from the original. Once I heard that you guys mentioned some of these straight out of the original, uh, Dingus, I guess I didn't mind it being reused because it reminded me of a moment of decent writing every time. It did get used <laughs> a lot. It was it became his tagline for at least two, maybe three occasions. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, I've got two more here. Uh, what if he just shoots you in the head? 
Well, shoot him in the head. Hell, I don't know. Avenge me. <laughs> Dingus, good writing, bad writing. I think that's good writing. Great writing. I love that. That was one moment. That was perhaps the one instance of humor in this movie that actually worked. I thought, oh, whoops. Kelly Wan, what would you have said? I don't want to influence your answer. Uh, bad writing. Oh, Kelly, you failed. Yeah, because that was uh, actually good writing. It, it made me feel like, oh, well, this movie has one thing better than The Avengers. Oh, oh right. <laughs> Making use of the word. Right, right. Yeah. Kelly Wand, good writing, bad writing, uh, pointing out that Ethan Hawke has 23 confirmed kills at Antietam. Is that good writing or bad writing? Uh, bad writing. Dingus, good writing or bad writing to point out that Ethan Hawke's character, Goodnight Show, has 23 confirmed kills at Antietam. I think it's good writing. Okay, it is terrible writing simply because <laughs> – there's no such thing as confirmed kills now, and there certainly wasn't any such thing as confirmed kills back in Antietam in the Civil War. Sharpshooters – this is something that snipers have basically invented, the idea of confirmed kills. There is no such thing. When that Yahoo Chris Kyle runs around and says – I mean he doesn't anymore. He, he's dead. But when he said uh, that he got 160 confirmed kills, that's by his counting. The Navy. He's confirming it. He's con it's self-confirmed. The Navy does not track that sort of thing. That's just him counting it. Now, now there is when you there there are reports like when a sniper comes in, and I had to look this up because when they said confirmed kills, I was thinking, wait a minute, there there weren't confirmed kills. First of all, when you had a sharpshooter back in the Civil War, like nobody was tracking how many people somebody hit. For instance, like it, it was chaos when these people fought, shot, fought, and shot at each other, and shots going everywhere. Nobody knows who hit whom. Um, it wasn't the, – the, the shooting wasn't that precise. So I was like, wait a minute. There aren't confirmed kills back then, were there? And not only that, there aren't even now. Uh, so now a confirmed kill might be something you would enter into a, a report like uh, when you come in from the field. But there is no running tally that is tracked for soldiers. And furthermore, uh, the, the military officially says they don't want to encourage that kind of record keeping. That is not something the military tracks. So anytime someone tells you that so-and-so has so many confirmed kills, that's not an official thing. That's BS. So Chris Kyle, you know, I'm sorry you got killed, but you were an idiot. But do these goofy farmers know any of this? That's why Chris Pratt is saying that, and he's, in, he's invoking Antietam. That's the point. And he's right. saying the confirmed kills to get these guys you know, sure. freaked out and to also try to suss out whether or not uh, this is uh, Goodnight Robichaux and whether or not he's a legend or that's all he is. Right. Uh, um, and, my, and, and I get that that's the intent, Dingus, but it's bad writing because confirmed kills is an absolute anachronism. That term didn't exist then uh, okay. uh, right, because not how kills wouldn't have been tracked. Uh, it only existed later as kills became more precise and as there were things like snipers. I mean sharpshooters were a form of sniper, but it wasn't the sort of thing where they would go out and pick people off. Uh, yeah, so it's an anachronism, the idea of confirmed kills. I understand what he was trying to do, and that's kind of cool to reference Antietam. That, I'm with you 110% there. I love when these movies, and, and Hateful Eight did this in a couple of moments, uh, when they reference like the Civil War and how this would be a big part of everybody's psyche. I like that. I love that bit. Um, oh, we didn't go to Antietam until 1969, I thought. We just send advisors there. Oh, uh, like Rodman? All right. <laughs> so, uh, wait, uh, but Chris Kyle's dead. That's confirmed? That is it. That's a confirmed That's a confirmed kill from the guy that shot him, I suppose. That's sad, Kelly Wand. Actually, I, you know, I felt like a jerk for bringing up Chris Kyle, so I'm glad you topped me on that. You're, you're more of a jerk towards him than I am. Well done. That's confirmed. 
I'm a bigger uh, jerk. Josh, Who won uh, the contest? Josh L. also wants to know, and I, and I, don't, I barely remember why this was even a deal. He asks, was it just me or did Ethan Hawke's slightly significant hip flask not actually appear in the movie until 10 minutes before the end? No. Uh, well, if uh, I know Billy at some point says, I knew you'd be back because I have this. Oh, yeah, that's but right. then they show Rock. it hanging yeah. over for poor Haley Bennett's voiceover at the end. They show it hanging on his gravestone. Or oh not God, that, going on his cross. She's a writer. Is that not part of your good writing, bad writing? The final line of the movie. Oh my God! I just that <laughs> just. I mean, talk about landing with a resounding thud. Oh my God! Wow. We we had a three by three that was something like movies ruined by the last scene or the last line or something like that. But this, if if I had liked anything about this movie, um, taking my favorite character and making her say that. Oh my God! Yeah. And, I really wanted. I really got so mad at that line. Yeah, it it, it felt like Kelly Wan making fun of uh, of Miles Teller. When did Kelly Wan make fun of Miles Teller? Kelly Wan, how dare you? I don't make fun of anybody. When he when he tells like you <laughs> don't bring it up, Dingus. It's a painful memory. Oh, it's not Miles Teller. It's um. No, it's fun, Fantastic Four. Yeah, I know, but who actually says the line? Oh, you I would have believed you if you'd said it was Miles Teller. Or is it uh is it the uh is Michael it Michael B. Thing? Jordan? No. Who's Jamie? What's his name? Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell. Is Jamie Bell? Who's that? Somebody says, wait, say that I don't think if I was doing a Fantastic Four movie, I wouldn't give the thing the final line. Yeah. But somebody says, wait, say that word again. Oh, no, no. You're, yeah, yeah, you're right, right. Yeah. Because we have to think of it. We have to think of a name for ourselves. Wait. Say that word. Wait, what are we? Fantastic. (laughs) Wait, how many of us are there? (laughs) Five. Wait, I forgot to count. Uh, they so, didn't call themselves the Magnificent Seven, did they? Did they? Did they? That would no, have been kind of cool. If they no, try. it was her. Yeah, yeah. She, they don't. Guys, try. check it out. We should have a name. <laughs> that's the that's the type of thing that um, that Faraday's character should have been doing. Like, hey, we're the cool seven. We are riding into this. We are the seven samurai. I mean, he should have been saying dopey stuff like that at all time instead of his dopey card tricks. It's never. Oh, about the, the card cards. tricks were so weak. What? Why is he doing card tricks? We've really been been spoiled by Now You See Me Too. You can't make a card fly around with magic. Yeah, we can. Uh, Go ahead, Kelly. Just I hate movies where because the character's wacky, the villains give a shit. So like, oh yeah, card trick, cool. Like that's all it takes to distract them. But like dumb. this isn't a fair. That's what I'm saying. It's not a fair fight. It's mean. They're picking on the the retarded. It's cruel. He does kill the the less jerky one, by the way. Like, what? why does he kill the guy who yeah. to see him do the trick and not the the guy who got the draw? Like that. Yeah, yeah he killed good. the wrong one. I thought. Yeah. Oh, I thought of something uh, I liked. Uh, I thought of another thing I liked. Dingus, um, come on! You, you're no. not just crazy talking. You have to think the seven things you liked. <laughs> I, I don't think I can do that. Um, but this is uh, this is another moment with uh, with Billy Rocks. Um, uh, when they're uh, when uh, uh, Ethan Hawke when uh, Robichaux is getting his face shaven, and um, and uh, and Faraday says a warrant for what killing a man with a hairpin, and there's a beat and a beat and a beat, and then Billy Rocks goes, that is funny, and it's just totally deadpan, and I love the way that actor does it. That is funny. Yeah, I guess and calling it a hairpin is kind of funny too. I guess. Yeah. So I, I, just, were, I just really liked Byung Hun Lee. I, I just think he was really great in this. I guess I'm going to have to see that G.I. Joe movie then. Uh, Thankless rolls. 
Thankless rolls. No, I think it's a, I, I think this is a a good roll for him, and I think he turns it around, and I think he does a lot with it. That whole weird, like I'm going to teach these farmers how to stab things. Hey, come back here is strange. But... Mm. Did they like him? Why were they sidekicks? Never mind. <laughs> uh, my over is, uh, and I didn't bother to do an over that's also terrible. I want to do an over that's actually good. That is about the experience from outside the normal settlers. Um, it's more like it's an immigrant's experience in a revenge western. Uh, and it's a movie with Mads Mikkelsen called The Salvation, uh, which I actually really like. And Mads Mikkelsen is a, is a Danish immigrant. Um, and he's coming to settle in the West, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan is this Peter Sarsgaard-like character. Uh, there's a cool female role in it with Eva Green, um, who plays a, a, a prostitute with her tongue cut out, who's mute. She has no lines, uh, and they do cool things with her character. Uh, and it, it, it really plays with this idea of a Danish man trying to make it in it's, – it's not a, a white man's thing because he is, of course, white, but he's European. He's a foreigner. And it's how he deals with the fact that he's an outsider in the Old West. Uh, so I like The Salvation. The Salvation also has a really um, interesting action finale, I'll say, uh, at the end, which this definitely didn't have. So my over is The Salvation. My under is Hateful Eight. Uh, Dingus, what we were, you mentioned uh, an under, I think, or an over. Uh, my over was Silverado, which is well above this, mm-hmm. um, mainly because the Kevin Costner character is, is so... So what I was looking for in the Chris Pratt character, uh, but, you know, Kevin Costner did that role at the beginning of his career, uh, and he could afford to be just wacky. Uh, and, uh, and now at the end of his career, he can afford to be wacky again. But in the middle part where Chris Pratt is now, I don't think he can afford to be just totally wacky. And that's a shame. So uh, Silverado was over and then Tears of the Sun. Oh, right, right. Antoine Fuqua right. that I right. saw this week uh, in addition to uh, a movie called Brooklyn's finest and it's shooter. <laughs> Shooters, Anton Fuqua. Yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. He's made a lot of bad movies. I mean, there's stuff to recommend in Shooter. I mean, Shooter's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Shooter's Michael Pena's in it. Michael Pena's really great in it. Um, uh, who's the Mark- chick in it? Who's the chick in Shooter? Oh, it's uh, Kate Mara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kate Mara's so good. Well, I don't want to say. You jerks, you see Morgan. Damn it. Uh, but right. Kate Mara is really good in it. Um, there's a, there's a lot of things I really liked about Shooter. I actually liked Shooter a lot more than I expected to like it. Yeah, um, I like the book. <laughs> but Brooklyn's Finest is boy, it just dissolves into a mess. Who's in that? Well, I don't. I vaguely remember the title. Um, well, Don Cheadle, uh, a guy named Ethan Hawke is in it. Uh, mm-hmm. A guy named Richard Gere, um, and then a bunch of other people. Huh, it sounds star-studded. It, sounds it is star-studded. It's it's basically like three three cops on different career paths who all happen to converge on one night to this uh, place in the projects in Brooklyn for this phantasmagoria. Uh, they're it's it's kind, I'm it's sold. Kind of you're, making me, you're making yeah. me want to see it. Um, I think it's a it's a kind of a cool idea as far as the uh, the idea of how everybody uh, this convergence happens and it just all happens to happen on one night um kelly loves movies that happen all in one night and he also likes movies that have Mm -hmm. a main character like staring at the camera and at the end 
so he might like this, but I think it... That's it, true. It, uh, Those are my two prerequisites. I think it kind of falls combine. apart a little bit. But Lily Taylor's in it. I really like her, uh, but she's not in it enough. Oh, and uh, um, what's her name? Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. I think it's... No, but... Uh, it's Kate McKinnon. But... Uh, I kept thinking of Jennifer Lawrence when we were watching Magnificent Seven because I think that uh, Haley, what's her name? Bennett. Bennett. Haley yeah. Bennett reminded me of her. No, um, uh, I think it's Rona Mitra who's in it. Oh, sure. Yeah, Tomb Raider. Yep. Uh, yeah. I'll go on the record and say she's a better Tomb Raider than Angelina Jolie. Hmm. Who is? Rona Mitra. Oh. Yeah. Wait, did she break up with Brad Pitt? Oh, so sad, Kelly. Too soon. Too soon. Oh, yeah, Wait, boo. Too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who our new Tomb Raider is, by the way? Is it Viking? Who's yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, what? Yeah, she's going to be the new Tomb Raider in the new movie yeah. by Roar Uthag. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, I saw a trailer for Da Vinci Code 3 and Ben Foster's in it. Ew, Okay. Talking about the end of the world. Is that a spoiler? <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, why don't you tell us your over and your under for uh, Magnificent Seven? My bracketing was ensembles set during the Old West. Ah, good. I like where this is going. And my over is the Wild Bunch. And my under is Empire Records. Wait, that's a TV show, isn't it? No, it's a movie. It's Liv Tyler, uh, Ethan Embry. And... Um... That's my least favorite ensemble. See, my brackets are wide. <laughs> okay, so I guess that is. West, do you mean California? Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, it's the 80s. Oh. I mean, the 90s. Right. But, um, Haley Bennett's boobs are magnificent sevens. One, two, three, not only one, Kelly Wanda, I disagree. I'd call those nine and a halfs, at least. What? Yeah. Skyfall's more uh, buxom. Do you keep saying Skyfall? Who are you talking about? Leah yeah. Sadu. Oh. Um. She's more buxom than Hayley. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, marginally. That's what I thought. <laughs> oh, right. I actually I didn't notice. But. Kelly Wand, what is this week's three by three? Uh, uh, did you feel one coming on? <laughs> oh, it, wait, I'm sorry, was it best size? Hmm. S-I-G-H. Uh, as uh, Tom was saying... I'm glad you spelled uh, that real quickly, Tom, because who knows where he would have gone. <laughs> yeah. It's three best sneezes in movies. <sighs> that, hmm. Here we are. All right. Topic. Wow. Okay. We've done oceans. We've done watch parts. <laughs> We've done uh, lasers. We've done lava. Uh, we did lava. Yeah, we did lava. We did weather. We've done weird casting. We've done. Um, Wait, have we done poop? We haven't done poop, have we? Oh, dingus, don't give him any ideas. No, we did that. Oh. Yep. We did we did. do cheese? Yeah, we did cheese. Yep. yep. Cheese. Damn it. All right. All right. My third favorite sneeze in a movie. Actually, whoops, did I did not number the yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll go with this order. My third favorite sneeze in a movie is in the movie. This is a movie. This is a sneeze in a movie in a movie. Wait, 
Yeah. This is a, a sneeze in a movie from someone watching a movie. And the movie they're watching is What's Up, Doc? And someone sneezes, and the camera follows the little particulates of their 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 mucus or their phlegm floating around in this crowded theater while people are laughing and then flying into another woman's mouth. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Outbreak. Exactly. Yeah, Outbreak. That's a scene from Outbreak. Yep. Wait, they're watching What's Up, Doc? Yes, because I watched it to check, okay, what movie do they go into? It shows – because it's a technician who gets blood sprayed on him uh, while they're doing a, a routine blood. Oh, so it's Outbreak, not What's Up, Doc. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So and the, the technician is like, oh, you know, I got blood on me. Should I get tested? And the doctor's like, no, you'll be fine. And the guy's like, okay, I don't want to infect anyone. I don't want my girlfriend to get infected. And then they cut later to the guy and his girlfriend walking up to a movie theater, uh, and the marquee says, what's up, Doc? And then it never shows the screen, but uh, they're in there watching one. it. And uh, so, are you going to allow that one, Kelly Wand? Yeah, that's an awesome one. Okay, good. And you know, because it's not a sneeze; it's a cough. You're hoping. you're proving that you don't have to like the topic to own the topic. Okay. I was excited that you were actually talking about what's up, Doc. No, I no, love, I really love that movie. I've never. It's seen an it. ironic choice. Isn't it a Barbara Streisand movie or something? Yeah. Huh. The only Barbara Streisand movie I like is it's Guilt Peter Trip. Bogdanovich. What? No dingus. Yeah. There's this great it's thing like, with the judge at the end where he's like, stop that. Make him stop that. I love that. The movie titles are asking each other and then answering each other. Because the one movie's going, what's up, Doc? And the other one's saying, outbreak? Outbreak's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they be watching that in Outbreak? I mean, that's like... And a, laughing in the it's 90s. like a 1971 movie or something. Uh, are there yeah, all laughs in it, too? I mean, like, it's well, no, yeah, that's the the shot is everyone laughing uproariously in the theater. Right. So I yeah, guess what, Wolfgang Peterson was just like, oh, what's a movie that a lot of people would laugh at? And so he picked what's the funniest up. movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's 1995. Yeah. I mean, what's up, Doc? I mean, besides Das Boot, which is hilarious, <laughs> that would have been way better. <laughs> yeah. It's a small town too. Yeah. yeah. That's where Doc always plays well. Uh, all right, so there's my number three, Kelly Wand. Excellent, um, excellent choice. Thank you. Very wise and spectacular. Because I, I was yeah. really bummed when it wasn't a sneeze. Because I watched all the way up to that. I didn't really watch. I had it going while I was doing other things. Uh, Outbreak is a tough thing to take. So it's not even a sneeze, and Kelly Wand's still going to let it go by. Yeah. Wait, it's a sneeze in the movie. What's up, Doc, though? You said... Mm, no. no. I then came clean and said it was actually a cough. Because I got that. I, was, I remembered it as a sneeze. I just remembered the shot. It was like, okay, what's the movie where you see spit flying around in a theater from a sneeze and going in someone else's mouth as a way of portraying a contagious disease? And I, I was like, what are the outbreak? And I was trying to think. I think there's at least one other old contagious disease movie. I can't remember what. But it was Outbreak. Deep oh. Impact. No, that was a, that was a, a, a meteor. <laughs> Or an asteroid. Yeah. See, I had one that I thought was a sneeze as well, but it turns out it's just somebody spitting. I had a couple like that. that well, this was one of them where it wasn't really a sneeze. My others are actual sneezes, though, Kelly Wan, so you'll be glad to know. All right, Dingus, what is your third favorite sneeze in a movie? Since you came clean, mm-hmm. you don't have to go to jail. Thank you so much. Oh, man. That's Appreciate your honesty. I love the way this court works. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, my, court. My third favorite sneeze is from a Veggie-saurus. Uh, this is the Brachiosaurus ah, in one. Jurassic Park. Dang it, it's a Brontosaurus. Don't let anyone like your son tell you different. I'm, they changed it back. I assure it's you. It's like Pluto. I, I'm going to tell him 
that you said it was no, no. a sword. No, no, don't Thanks. tell him I said that. Don't tell him I said that. Okay, never mind. I'll let you pick whatever you want. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> so, so this is when uh, when they're this up in the tree, the and Lex, uh, who is the older sister, um, is totally freaked out by the dinosaurs because she's she, and she's also a vegetarian. She's just she's freaked out by them. This this huge brachiosaurus gets up and they and they start to feed the brachiosaurus. And Tim, her brother, uh, played by Joseph Mazzello, uh, you know, assures her uh, she's uh, Ariana Richards um, that don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Lex. It's a it's a veggiesaurus. And she's like, well, let me feed him now. And so she takes a branch and she feeds it the brachiosaurus, and then it sneezes on her, covering her. And dinosaur snot. Ha ha. Oh, ha ha. She's covered in dinosaur snot. Is there She's... a sad trombone sound effect at that point, Dingus? <laughs> I think it's more like. <laughs> it's a game it's show the, sound. The year the trombone effect when Laura Dern puts her arm in the poo, too. <laughs> now that's uh, a big pile of shit. Dingus, her character's a vegetarian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of her things. Does um, she know that there's ground up animal bones? That's bone what she's no, she does not. Very good, Tom. She, right. she apparently does not understand that eating Jello, Oof. unless it's vegan Jello, it's ground up uh, animal bones in it. Animal bones, yeah. yeah. All right. I mean, she. I don't know. Does she ever actually get it up to her mouth? So maybe it's okay. Oh, she just lets it jiggle. Yeah. Been on that date. <laughs> Couldn't see that oh coming. <laughs> oh, Kelly Wand. Good lord. Way inappropriate. I mean, uh, yeah, sneezing, guys. Yeah. Films, movies. Yeah, movie Kelly, wants to Kelly, play us out. Yeah, third favorite sneeze, quick. Uh, my number three is from the motion picture Annie Hall, where. Uh, wow, one huh. on all of our lists. What are the odds? What? That's because it's a good topic. One? Yeah, wow. Who would have thought of that? You're kidding. I don't think any listeners will write in about that one, though, because uh, I thought of it first. So, Dingus, where on your list was it? Because I just went ahead and put it at number one. I was like, eh, it's the only really famous one. What? No, I found two I liked better. Oh, are you serious? You didn't even use it? Uh, no, I watch, I watch it, and it's such a dumb gag. Sorry, Kelly, but... Well, it's, hello, it's, it's Woody Allen. Gag. What do you expect? Oh, snap. Hey, hey, how dare you? You're talking about the director of Love and Death, mister. <laughs> and the director of... Uh, that that uh, What's that last terrible one? It's serious Man. Good. No, shoot. What's the horrible one that you had to see? A thoughtful man. man. A seriously thoughtful man. Shoot, what is that movie? Where Side House Rules? It's a, it's a philosophy professor. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, Rational Man. Rational Man, yes, yes. Irrational I watched man. it on the plane. Oh, rational or irrational? Irrational. Rash. Irrational, okay. What? What? He's irrational? Yeah. Tell you might have seen this. I thought he had all the answers. <laughs> I think it's irrational man, isn't it? It's if it, it's not. No, it's not Deuce and, is Emma. Emma, uh, what's her? Which one? No, it's, Emma it's not. It's not. It's, it's irrational man, as in a philosophical idea, in addition to what the character is. It's but he's not, not called, being irrational in the movie. I think Dingus is right, Kelly Wand. A rational man does not sound like a movie Woody Allen. Would. Let's no, disagree to agree. <laughs> yeah, let's do that right now. I like. I like that Kelly Wand is quoting Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant. There should be Ren- it's not a renegade. There's got to be sneezes in that. Oh, area. is he not a renegade? Did I just Larry Gay renegade? It's, he's an irrenegade. Is it really not called renegade male flight attendant? Did I just yeah, add is. renegade to the title? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, Kelly Wand. Renegade male flight attendant. Okay, if you say so, I'm going to take your word for it. Because he's a just renegade. Like it's the joke is he's a renegade because he's straight and he's not gay. See. Remember the monkey and friends is an outbreak too. Oh, I hate monkeys so bad. Monkeys are terrible. 
You've gone into this. What about Mr. Nelson, Pippi's uh, monkey? What? Who's that? Mr. Nelson? She does yeah. Is it her monkey? Stalking. Yeah, and, and, and it doesn't even name. let her. It doesn't even let her call him by its first name. Well, she respects his authority. Oh, he's the boss of her. Yeah, man, monkeys are bossy. Yeah, yeah. That monkey in Outbreak is supposed to be cute, and I'm like, no, you're not selling. He's spreading disease. He's not cute. He's cantankerous. Uh, he's Nazis. It's uh, it, Nazis, right? It's like a child performer. His performance is super aware. It's not at all naturalistic. I didn't like the monkey in Outbreak at all. Hmm. What about think, the fly? I think monkeys are jerks. I know. Yeah. Well, it's, King Kong was a pleasant fellow. He wasn't a monkey, though. That's not a monkey. He's and an neither was what? the thing in Fly. Yeah. The thing wasn't a monkey, though. It had monkey in it, I bet. What about the monkey brains? And- Dingus, what is your number two? Oh, no. Tom, what is your Tom, number is- two favorite sneeze in a movie? That would be, uh, where did it go? Um, what? Wait a minute. What? Oh, 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 yeah. Annie oh. Hall's number one. Okay, so my number two favorite sneeze in a movie. And Kelly Wand, I watched this one. Like Outbreak, I could stop as soon as the sneeze happened. This one, the sneeze is at the end. Good Lord. Uh, at the very end of Inner Space, where Dennis Quaid <laughs> ship around in Martin Short, the way uh, that he gets one. out of Martin Short is by sneezing. Uh, Martin Short that's sneezes a onto a tech no, not on a slide, on a te- into a technician's face, and the spit is on his eyeglasses. Right, and you have to pull it out of the spit on the eyeglasses. Uh, and uh. Inner Space, Joe Dante. So for I was lab- for a long time, I've been laboring under the misapprehension that Joe, Joe Dante was a good director for a while. No, Gremlins. I, I don't know why I thought that. So here's here's Joe Dante's career. Uh, Hollywood Boulevard, which I kind of want to see again because I remember being kind of fascinated and not understanding it as a kid. Uh, and that, I think of that less as Joe Dante and more as uh, Paul Bartel and Mary Warnov. Um, who I don't I, see movies named after places, by the way. Well, then how about the movie Piranha because that's also Joe Dante. Uh, Piranha's not good, but it's weird. I'll give it that. And it has this weird, gratuitous – sequence where uh, uh, there's a weird Harryhausen monster that has no business being in the movie. This is an animated scene with a Ray Harryhausen monster running around in somebody's lab. Uh, so Piranha's weird. It's a John Sayles script. We'll give Joe Dante credit for that. Then he did, and this is before Gremlins, because I think Gremlins is, is good, at least. It's, it's the peak of his career. But before Gremlins, I think the howling is genuinely good. It, at the time, and I think these hold up, it has some great effects. Uh, D. Wallace is good in it. I, I like the howling. But, I like... Yeah, go ahead. Well, the part of Twilight Zone with the where the girl's missing her mouth—that was Joe Dante. I thought it was, was the bit with the, you want to see something really scary. No, that's uh, 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 Landis did that part. Oh, okay. The one, the one in Cartoon Land with Kevin McCarthy's Joe Dante. Oh, because Joe Kevin oh. McCarthy jumps the shark. Kevin McCarthy's it's in Inner Space as well, which I didn't remember. Kevin McCarthy, oh, the villain. See, he, they really hit it off. Well, Inner Space is terrible. It's not mm. funny. It thinks it's funny. Uh, it's got that really weird subplot with the cowboy. Yeah, yeah, where he takes his face. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's all it has going for it. It has the special effects of the inside of Martin Short's body, which aren't even that good. But it has the weird, you know, the, the, the face-changing special effects, which is just that thing from Jacob's Ladder, where you shoot somebody jiggling their head around at, at a few frames per second, and then you speed it up. Um, so it has that little special effect. But so, so Joe Dante does after these early movies, it goes like Inner Space, The Explorers, which Ugh. is painfully bad, uh, The Hole, 
uh, Small Soldiers, which is about killer toy uh, soldiers, which I think – oh, shoot. Who is that? Phil Hartman. Uh, Phil Hartman, right. Phil Hartman, I think, was in that. Uh, and his last movie – is The Burbs any good? <laughs> I've never seen it. I've always been a little curious about it. Because just on, on the basis of it being early Tom Hanks, I'm curious too. Uh, but it's Joe Dante. Um, and there's a scene in the preview where he's, Tom Hanks finds a bone in his backyard, and the camera just goes in and out a bunch of times, like a bone. So it's got to be that kind of movie. So maybe that would be like a, an example still of Joe Dante before he got terrible. But everything after the Grim, Gremlins is is just terrible. There's nothing though after. Yeah. Uh, his latest is a movie. Young Sherlock Holmes. It's not Joe Dante. It's Chris Columbus. Yeah, yeah, definitely not Joe Dante. Um, Sorry. His last movie is called Burying the X, and it's about a dude whose bitchy girlfriend dies, and it gets him out of the relationship. He was gonna, he kept, he was gonna try to break up with her, but luckily she dies, so he's out of that relationship. But she then comes back as a zombie and wants to hook back up with him. Uh, the the girl playing the zombie is an actress, I think Ashley Green. Is that someone killing? I think we know mm-hmm. who she is. But uh, more importantly. The the kid and the script is just embarrassingly bad. Who has the girlfriend? Uh, it's an Anton Yelchin movie, and oh. it's so sad seeing him and then just this dreck. And the this, the main plot is that Anton Yelchin's bitchy girlfriend, who comes back as a zombie, uh, she's like kind of one plot. But the main plot is that after she dies, Anton Yelchin has in the meantime met Alexandra Daddario. Mm. And he's really into her, and she's a really kind of shy, nerdy girl who no one likes. What? Yeah, she's a wallflower, you see. Oh, like wow. Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Get away it, from me with those boobs. Yeah, it is, it's just terrible. Uh, and it's Joe Dante. So watching Space, I was kind of expecting, yeah, maybe it would have some funny, wacky Wait, stuff. does she have a makeover scene where suddenly she's like, No, hey, no, no, she's super hot. The moment that he meets her, because he meets her when he's still with Ashley Green, she's super hot. She's like working in an ice cream store or something. Oh, super hot, and she's supposed to be like all clumsy-tongued and not really smooth and embarrassing herself and a nerd. Very clumsy is what I'd be thinking about it. Oh, I remember this now. Yeah, this is really Tough. weird. Yeah, that's really weird. And he works in like a horror-themed store that sells horror mem- memorabilia. Right. Oh, so it's like Adventureland. Why do you know about this, Dingus? I don't. Re- I don't know, but I just remember that whole ice cream thing and how weird it was. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what's become of Joe Dante. That's Joe Dante for us. And so Kelly Wan, you made me watch Inner Space. I hope you're happy. Uh... Every time you say Inner Space, I think you're gonna say Interstellar. That I would. Uh, you guys did make me watch that. Well, I was going to watch that. Tom loves it. Very happy you guys the made me watch The sneeze from Interstellar. Oh I mean, the, the time dilation on that <laughs> sneeze is amazing. When, That's how they did it. It was a dust bowl. <laughs> when was Martin Short ever funny, by the way? He's funny in... I'll tell you one thing he's funny in. Do you know? Clifford. Jimny Glick. You guys That's, really not know? Funny. I think he. I, I, he's funny. He doesn't belong. It's weird that he's in this, but it kind of works because he doesn't belong, and it's weird that he's in it. Uh, uh, Captain of the Bride. No, it's Captain. That, you guys are very disappointed. You guys, it's that whole weird stretch of Inherent Vice where Martin Short shows oh, up yeah. as the dentist. Yeah. Like, what? What movie did he step in from? Yeah. Uh, and just the, the disconnect of, of what he's doing in the rest of the movie. I mean, yeah. Inherent Vice, I, I, I'm convinced that everything when I first saw Inherent Vice that I didn't like or understand was, in fact, ingenious. Yeah, he's beautifully creepy. I couldn't tell while I was watching it. I thought that was po- that was a possibility. Like, yeah, oh, I'm not enjoying this, but I might. It might be me. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I loved it from the beginning. Oh, you guys. 
Inherent bias? Yeah. I think it's just smarter than us. Yeah. Yeah, that's one way to put it. When I saw the nice guys, I wanted to go back to inherent bias. What's the they nice put- guys? Oh, oh, that we saw, right, right, the Russell Crowe. Right, 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 yeah. That's, that's one of those, it's such a generic title, I'm never going to remember that's the name of that movie. Yeah. I went, oh, Anderson Trump's Shane Black. Well, of course. For now. <laughs> yeah. For now and always, please. Uh, all right, there's my second favorite sneeze, Kelly Wand. No, Dingus, what is your second favorite sneeze? Obviously not Annie Hall. All right, here's a quote from it for Kelly Wand. Hmm. The sauerkraut is in my lederhosen. Wait, is it top secret? It is top secret. That's my number two, too. How exciting. Oh, it really is? Yeah. So many sneezes to choose from, and you guys pick the same one? What are the odds? It's a really good one. I just love how goofy it is. Wait, describe it to Tom because I don't think he knows what it is. Well, they're they're in this like in this moment where the, this guy is trying to tell Val Kilmer, "We you must be calm. You can't let anything overcome you here in this moment where we are preparing for the siege." And French he, underground, Tom. Yeah, it's the French underground, and then he sneezes into his hands and he looks at it and he totally freaks out and jumps out the window. He screams in terror at what's what on his hand. It's what, at what's on his hand. He sneezes into his hands, and uh, I mean, top secret's just I. I have such a soft spot yeah. for this movie. He sneezes into his hands. He looks at his hands, and he just—he's just this moment of abject terror. And he runs and he dives through not just the window, uh, but he dives through like the door uh, window. You know, like the door has that that window cut out, and he dives through that. Just you know, to his death, you must imagine, uh, because of the way that the sneeze looks on him. Couldn't take it. Couldn't hack it. Right. I know hacking is usually associated with coughing. I do not get the joke. I just because his mother scared him. Yeah, yeah. His but phlegm it, freaked him out and enough to like make him jump out a window. But the idea that he's that he's this 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 grizzled veteran and that he's talking to Val Kilmer and telling him like you must be calm about all of these things. Nothing must upset you. And then he sneezes into his hands and sees this. Whatever he sees in his hands, and he just jumps out the window. <laughs> that upset him, Tom. I'm gonna let's it. just keep describing it until Tom. Gets it. <laughs> he just I sounds agree. totally baffled, and he, to me, it's hilarious even just hearing it. Which means Tom's not hearing the seats correctly. <laughs> his vision of it. By the I, way, don't, we, I literally do not get it. You guys are explaining it to me, and I do not understand wait, why. Wait, do you think airplanes funny? Because I remember – I know you hate Blazing Saddles. But uh, like, the, Zucker, the Zuckers don't really age for me that well. When I, when I was 12, I thought it was funny. When's the last time you saw Airplane? Um, maybe five years ago or so. I mean I can appreciate it. It's just not my style of humor. Hmm. Sure, Airplane's funny, but I it, – Did not. you see Top Secret? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I know Top Secret. I I remember the the Pinto joke because I used to drive a Pinto. Uh, the Pinto joke is uh, great, and the yeah. big phone. Uh, the big phone is awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the joke about perspective. I do remember the that. Norwegian. As well. The Norwegian. Don't remember the Norwegian. This the was it Norwegian or Swedish? One of the bookstore. The bookstore is like backwards. Peter Cushing. Yeah. Peter. Because they made Peter Cushing act in reverse. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Just wow. I, I probably wouldn't have had much of it. That would have been after Star Wars, right? Yeah. I, not sure I would have. Yeah. All right. Maybe I should go back and see that then. Mm, I don't think you'll get much out of it. All right. Uh, there, there, I think there's a moment in Magnificent Seven where uh, I think Denzel goes into the saloon or something, and it's beat, beat, 
heartbeat. And like, well, somebody's going to be thrown through that window. And then somebody gets thrown through that window. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's so poorly timed. (laughs) It's like, come on. We know it's coming. Jeez, don't make us wait. The music's telling you. Yeah, I did. I disagreed with the music. Disagreed. Bluff unaccepted. So wait, everybody's three by threes are out in the open now. Everybody's sneezes. No, my number, my number one. one. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys is number one. So uh, Dingus, you're first. What's your favorite sneeze in a movie? All right, my favorite sneeze is um, uh, the quote from it would be uh, some sort of psychonasal therapy. Um, and this is not. I don't know if this. I don't know if either of you have seen this movie, uh, but it's a movie called The Tall Guy. Oh, yeah, sure. sure. I mean, I don't know. Have I seen it? I mean, I know what it is. I may not have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Emma Thompson. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum and Emma Thompson. Both of them are great in it. Um, Mr. Bean's on it. And Mr. Bean is in it as a bad guy, basically. Yeah. uh, Which I think would please Tom because I don't think he's a big Mr. Bean fan. Um, What what do you think I have against Mr. Bean? uh, Broad British comedy. Rowan Atkinson. You don't think it's funny, I thought. (laughs) Who doesn't like seven weddings and a funeral? Oh, seven. No. How many? Four weddings and a funeral. Oh, we should have used that. Seven weddings and a funeral. <laughs> Damn it. No, I win. Oh, you don't oh, know. You double win. Uh, I, I, I've never seen a Mr. Bean movie. That's a true fact. There's only one. Oh, there's two. Oh, a true oh. fact. All right. I, thought there were, I, I would have assumed there were multiple. Okay. So you don't like Mel Brooks kind of humor, and you don't like Airplane, and you don't like British. Uh, the Office. I've just watched Dark Place. One of the funniest things I've ever. Uh, not funny. There's a. Do you know of a, a, a series called Fleabag, Kelly Wand? No. Oh my God. You I'm in. All right. Link me. Uh, so Flea. Uh, well, I don't know. so there's a, there's a woman named Phoebe Waller Bridge uh, who I think is the British. I, I think she's as insightful and uncomfortably funny as Louis C.K. So oh. I recommend a British series called Fleabag. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You will Phoebe not be able to watch one episode of this this uh, series without coming away remembering that name. She's amazing. You had me at coming. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Whoa. Let's watch what? her ejaculating. This is just sneezing we're talking about. <laughs> that's a different kind of sneeze. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that reminds me of a gross one I didn't think about. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't, don't need to get gross. Oh, that one's awful. Why you, Wait a minute, yeah. what? Describe this one to me. Uh, it sounds he, like my, Rob Schneider, I think, is funnier than the he's Zucker. He's on a date with a girl whose nose is a penis, and she has it covered by, a, like, a veil. And Wait, when she sneezes, I, gets what happens. Wait a minute. what? That happens in the Deuce Bigelow movies? Somebody who yeah, in a restaurant. Penis? Yeah, but you don't see it, but then you see the yield, and then a guy drinks it in his soup. Yeah. Like a, Wait, that like makes no that. sense. How is her nose a penis? She... she Deuce Bigelow movie. It's just in the universe of Deuce Bigelow is that people can have penis noses. It was a medical yeah. issue. Well, that, that's what Cyrano de Bergerac's about. Yeah. Ew. And Elephant Man. <laughs> By the way, Elephant Man is part of the movie The Tall Guy. Um, yeah, Elephant. So the, so he's in a he's in a musical called Elephant, which is a. <laughs> um, which is a musical Andrew adaptation of the Elephant Man, and and the main character uh, played by Jeff Goldblum has has spent like six or seven years playing second fiddle to um, 
to Mr. Bean. What's Mr. Bean's name again? Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson. And Rowan Atkinson is just totally abusive to him and terrible to him. And, and finally, you know, Jeff Goldblum gets fired from that. But part of it is because he has this problem with hay fever and he sneezes all the time. He sneezes backstage. But my favorite sneeze moment is when he's taking out a, a record and uh, and he just like sneezes like crazy and Jeff Goldblum just totally commits to it. It's just this sneeze, sneeze, sneeze when he's got this 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 record that he wants to play, this piece of vinyl and after like having the sneezing fit because he's trying to get this hay fever under control, he's like, Oh good, at least I didn't destroy this record and then he like destroys his record player when he sneezes again. And then he goes into the doctor's office and the doctors are trying to figure out how to treat him for hay fever and uh the weird side doctors like you know some sort of psychonasal therapy and the and the and the main woman doctor's like no 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 we're just going to give him some shots and jeff goldblum's like no 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 shots no shots and she doesn't understand why he doesn't want shots and she's like no no we'll use a wide bore needle and he's like no i don't want shots uh, i just don't like things poking into me um, so that's just all a part of the thing. I just, I love Jeff Goldblum in it. It's so much fun to watch him. And, uh, and, um, uh, Emma Thompson is just fantastic in this movie. That, that's how he ends up meeting her because she's a nurse in this scene. Kate Lemon. Who? Her name's Kate Lemon, I think. She like, Th- that's her character name? name? Kate Lemon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, re- so. you're remembering a character name instead of me remembering a character name? Yeah, she's name? a horrid name. Well, it's not Connor. <laughs> but I, I love the tall guy. I have such a warm place in my heart for the tall guy and all that sneezing stuff. Uh, Did anyone of note direct the tall guy? It's just a guy named Mill Smith. I don't know what else he directed. Okay. Yeah, he's a comedian. Uh, Kelly, Wan, yep, Kelly Wan, that's down to your favorite sneeze in a movie. Wait, did we already say it? No. Oh, it's Andy, yes, Andy Hall when... again. I'll just do it really fast. My number one's uh, the kid in Bad Santa who sneezes on Billy Bob Thornton, and it, he's been eating chocolate, so it looks like he's sneezing poo all over. Oh, yeah. He's like, what? What? He's, like, snarling at him, and then the kid just sneezes all over him. It's a really good sneeze. It's foul. It's a really foul sneeze. It is you know, really gross because of that white beard. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, it starts in, uh, is it next month, where there's a Bad Santa too. Is he in it? Yeah, of course he's in it. Mm, I'm bummed to Ritter. What do you mean? What starts next month? Is it, a, is it a movie or is it a? No, no, it's it a movie. Uh, it's a uh, it's Billy Bob Thornton and I think the the Black Midget. Uh, it's not. Oh shoot! Who directed the first one? The guy that did that Crumb movie. Yeah. Sickle yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he's not doing it anymore. Oh, I know, right? It's the director. Well, he got sick of their shit. Their studio meddling. Well, it's the director of uh, like Mean Girls and Freaky Friday, Mr. Popper's it's Penguins. The same writer. Mm. Yeah, what do you think of that? Mm, I'm sounding a little disappointed. Come on, Mr. Popper's Penguins doing Bad Santa too. Why do you not want that? You need Rogoff and you need Ritter. I don't know. Oh, we can be sad. We can't have Ritter. That's right. Or Bernie Mac. The Black Midget's name is Tony Cox. I have to bring this up every time. Bernie Mac is not in it either, I'm afraid. Is that girl in it? Uh, the Gilmore Girls girl is not in it, no. Is the fat kid in it? Uh, it looks like yes. He is in it. Yeah, it's the same kid. I wonder if he's... Wait, I don't know if I want to see him. <laughs> yeah, I am grown up. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I don't want to see him ten years later. I don't want a boyhood bad Santa. Uh, it's from the writer of What to Expect When You're Expecting. 
sure is hilarious. What do you think of that? Is that the so, one? I brought that up a, a few weeks ago. Is that the one with like Rob Hubel and what and whoever like? Yeah, everyone is in it. Chris Rock, Rob Hubel, Thomas. It is. Lennon, so yeah, it is the dudes talk. like pushing strollers to the park. Exactly. Now there, that's the writer, the person who wrote that, wrote Bad Santa Two, and the guy who did uh, it's like Mean Girls. Um, that's the director. Living dark times. Mr. Popper's Penguins. Yep, that's the guy now directing Bad Santa Two. The guys who did Sex Drive were the ones who did uh, In the Heart of the Sea. Sex Let's Drive. Start there. Sex yeah. Drive. It's like a sex. It's a teen movie with no sex in it. Oh, that's boring. What if I told you that Bad Santa Two is rated PG thirteen? Uh, what? It's not though. <laughs> it's it's an R, at least. Now everything's bad. It's be called sex it's bad moms. Sex bad new grandpa. Yeah. Sex new ball. Sex new neutral. Wild. Sex neutral. Listeners wrote things about sneezing. Awesome. I hope some of them involve anime. Not that many. Oh, don't say that. I love you reading anime plots. With the more Japanese names, the better. It's just that one dude. That's the thing. It's like they have to know it. They have to know enough about anime to write it in, so it's punishing them. Some of our listeners uh, watch or read or whatever you do to anime. They do that with anime. <laughs> do what with anime? I don't know. I don't. I don't do anime. You don't an- have you ever kippled? <laughs> Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes number three, Men in Black. You know you What's- did that wrong, by the way. Oh, how do I supposed to say it? Do you like Kipling? <laughs> That's the joke on the postcard. Do you I'm like Kipling? The- yeah. I'm just catching right says, to the like, chase. I've never kippled. Okay. I don't have to do the whole joke. Well, you did the wrong part of it. You did the. If I go little old lady who, you, you go wait. You gotta say knock knock first. <laughs> you really want to hear the. Aren't you glad he didn't? Yeah. Aren't you glad I didn't say little old lady? You guys are doing jokes wrong. That's all I'm saying. Okay, read the listener thing. In, is to get thing to the other side. Wait. <laughs> uh. Arthur Jovan and Jelly. I said that right, right? You did, yeah. That you'll always say right. Right. Men in Black. Will Smith and the other MIB candidates are sent to a firing range and shown various cardboard cutouts of aliens. Smith elects not to shoot a particularly menacing-looking alien because he's holding a tissue and is not snarling but sneezing. Hmm. An important aspect. This one's... Why do people test my authority? <laughs> it's always the ones I least suspect. An important aspect of MIB is recognizing that not all aliens are hostile, no matter their appearance. And this scene shows that Smith understands this concept. Oh, that's cute. Works for me. What's your problem with it, Kelly Wand? He's not. There's no sneeze. Well, he's, he's identifying that it's about to sneeze, that it's not threatening, that, that its stance is a product of sneezing. Number two, Monsters Inc. You're welcome, Arthur. I just got you off the hook. Priest. He was already off the hook, but you're not helping him. I just got what? I just got you to move on to his next pick. That's helping him. All right, Mr. Trump. I got him to show his birth certificate. Monsters Inc. Who sneezes in Mike's one eye, causing Mike, who's scared of humans, to spray his eye with a disinfectant, which stings quite a bit. Okay, Arthur, get him in trouble for picking something with Billy Crystal involved. 
Can you do that? Uh, I'll have what he's sneezing. Uh, number one, Jurassic Park. Lex pits, pets the nose of a peaceful dinosaur. Oh, he doesn't even say brontosaurus. Which causes it to sneeze, covering her in dino boogers. It's so gross, I don't know why it's in the film. What? That's why it's in the film. I kind of like the idea of a peaceful moment with dinosaurs after the T-Rex sequence. This sneeze just makes the scene silly. You know, he's right. That scene totally would have worked if it hadn't a sneeze. I mean, it didn't need that wah, wah, wah thing. It's a cool idea that she gets over her fear of the dinosaur by knowing that it's a vegetarian like her. It doesn't need to sneeze on her. Spielberg's an idiot. No, he's making fun of her vegetarianism. She has to go through so much in that movie, too. It makes you sick. That's true, but the the other kid gets electrocuted. I just realized that two of my top three uh, of two of my three by threes had Jeff Goldblum in them. Oh, Dingus, you could have gone on with, for a trifecta of Goldblums. Darn it! If you'd He's done Annie Hall, if you'd done Annie Hall, Dingus, you would have been all three of them having been Jeff Goldblum. Oh, you're right. Way to blow it, Dingus. Way to way to out get it. Your Goldblum. Do you remember his line in that movie? Oh, I actually don't. What is it? What's it's this cut with. It, no, he's on the phone and he says, Guru, I forgot my mantra. <laughs> That's good writing. <laughs> I thought he meant the sneeze line. But get, if I could bring the house down, <laughs> B. Kent writes, at the end of Inner Space, Dennis Quaid's entered Martin Short's lungs, and the only way to get him out is for Short to sneeze. Hairspray Short cries, someone give me some hairspray. Somebody hands him a can of moose. Hair product humor gets me every time. <laughs> that thing he did sprays the moose on his nose, and he's like, no, not moose. And then they give him real hairspray. Yeah. Wait, is it set up that that makes him sneeze? Yes, or earlier on. To make everybody sneeze? He's allergic to everything. He's allergic to hairspray specifically. That's, yeah. So it would have been an issue of him trying, sneezing out Dennis Quaid prematurely. Uh. Oh, right, right. Well, there's a weird thing, too, and it makes no sense. When he kisses Meg Ryan, apparently when you kiss someone, if you have a little micronaut in a submarine flying around inside of you, when you kiss someone, that micronaut submarine flies into the other person. Because he kisses Meg Ryan, and then Meg Ryan can hear him in her ears, and he floats down into Meg Ryan's belly and sees that she's pregnant with his baby, and he sees his new baby face-to-face. God giant star baby thing and then when meg ryan and martin short realize oh my gosh he's in you not me i need him to be back in me to give me super strength they kiss each other again so that it then passes dennis quaid so dennis quaid is apparently transmissible through saliva that's a hard science movie yeah is this was there any sort of weird hiv scary like goofiness going on with that this prior to that yeah no Uh, no. They, it wasn't in kids' well, movies it was yet. Inner Space was 95. It was definitely... Perfect. No, 85. No, no, Inner Space was 95. Let me 95? It's definitely not 85. It'd be crazy. Hold on, you might be right. It's got to be 80s. Hold on. Remember the blonde girl's hair? Oh, good Lord, 87. Where'd it get... Oh, no, Outbreak is 95. <laughs> You're right. Uh, uh, yeah. But that's still... That's still... Uh, that's right around AIDS, isn't it? I would think so. Yeah, it's right around there. Circuit aids. But there's no aware. There's there's nothing like that. It's just they needed a plot device oh, right. so, so that Dennis Quaid could see that Meg Ryan was pregnant. Can fly. They didn't do AIDS her. jokes in kids' movies till Honey I Shrunk the Kids. There's AIDS jokes in that. Come on, Kelly Wan. I don't know. I'm just trying to fit in. <laughs> B. 
Be Kent continues, in Superman 3, oh, this is in my alternates, Clark Kent's attending the birthday party of the son of the woman he's dating. Lana Lang. <laughs> Wait, which Superman? Three, with Richard Pryor. The one more thing is, yeah, shit gets real. Okay. Uh, probably the best Superman, which takes place at a bowling alley. As the sun weakly tosses its ball down the lane, Clark trips on an ashtray. Wait, that part alone. That's his cover? That would just make me going, what? And in dusting off his hands, fakes a sneeze that sends the boy's ball rocketing into the pins, completely destroying them. I remember uh, yeah, Everyone's all, yeah. They wouldn't go, holy shit, this kid's fucking freak of nature. Oh my god, we gotta pay for the pins. Ricky, what the fuck? Now we're in the hole for $30. Oh, his name is Ricky. You remembered his name. Nice work, Kelly Wand. It is Ricky Connor Lang. <laughs> so does Superman, does Clark Kent can't do this on purpose? Yeah, to make the kid look cool in front of his mom. <laughs> oh, I see. I just love He's the idea of him tripping on an ashtray. Yeah, that makes him look cool, too. Remember when Clark tripped over the ashtray and then you did the strike? That was the two dumbest things I ever saw. It's unclear whether or not the bowling alley made the kid pay for breaking the pin, so it must be a common occurrence in Metropolis. Uh, that was in Smallville. Oh, God. Sorry about that. Wait, what are you talking about? That was in Smallville. He's in Smallville in Superman 3, because Lois, Margot Kidder, had enough of the shenanigans. Wow. Why would you know that? All right. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's a Smallville bowling alley. That's why the pins are so... Uh, After all. <laughs> Number three. Wait, he didn't number them. I guess paragraphs are numbers. The sneeze at the end of the taking of Pelham one two three, which I feel like was discussed before. I love the look Walter Matthau has as he pushes the door back open. Brian Kent. Wait, what? I don't There's remember that. There's a sneeze at the end of Pelham one two three. Yeah, what is that? Brian Kent, tell us more. What the heck? That's all they wrote. We have He's to like know he assumes we, we. He says he, he did. He even say he thought we'd already talked about it. Yeah. Huh. He felt like we discussed it before, and therefore it's not worth explaining what he's... Does, huh, Den, right. does Denzel say, good bless you to him? Not that one, Dingus, oh, the real sorry. one. Actually, I'm assuming he means the real one. He well, does, because he said Walter Matthau. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I think it's how he knows, it has to do with how he like knows like Robert Shaw is the bad guy or something like that. Oh. Like he hears him what? sneeze the way he said, I don't remember. What did people say to sneezers before religion? You're so good looking. Chris Webb writes, I didn't want to use illness or allergy, so here's my two cents. Get it? No sense. Get it? Uh. Number two, Woody Allen, cocaine, moving along. Number one, when the Brachiosaurus, <laughs> when the Brachiosaurus sneezes on the girl in Jurassic Park. Definitely the best sneeze based on volume of emission. I don't think Jar Jar sneezes, or that would have been my number one. Yeah, he sneezes a bunch of times. Yeah, why, why, why else would he say, excuse me? Yeah. Ugh. He only does is sneeze. He sneezed when he made uh, the Emperor the king of the world. But there must be some sneeze of the prequels, right? Tom, you're the expert. Thoughts? Uh, yes, Jar Jar, he sneezes, farts, and belches. Mm-hmm. Those are his That's three like superpowers. Like, yeah. 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 He brought those things into the Star Wars universe instead of uh, printed text. Exactly. <laughs> Colton W. Westray writes, 
Only one this week. It's probably a popular one because it came to mind instantly. Jurassic Park, Dr. Grant, have <laughs> I hope I didn't blow it by setting this in too late. Chris Markardson writes, hey, guys, here's some sneezes that I like. Oh, so polite. Number three, Jurassic Park, a brachiosaurus with the cold sneezes, covering Lex with mucus. Number two, the tall guy. During a theater performance at the start of the movie, Goldblum has a cold which causes him to sneeze during a joke, much to Rowan Atkinson's chagrin. Wait, Chris Number picked one. the tall guy too? Yeah. Oh, how happy am I? I know. That's how a listener wins, right? When they're yeah, hard definitely. definitely. Congratulations, Chris. You said the same things we thought of. It's not easy. Many have tried. Number one, top secret. Member of the French Resistance, Deja Vu, the one with the Green Beret, shares some words of wisdom with Val Kilmer about dealing with adversity. <laughs> Wait, read it, because maybe Markinson's explanation will make me understand it. Keep going. Well, he doesn't quote it. That's he all just, he wrote about it? Deja Vu then sneezes into his hands, and when he sees the discharge, he screams and jumps out a window. <laughs> Thanks, Man. guys. Chris. Mine and Chris's are the same. I'm so happy. Yeah, I can't believe somebody else got the tall guy. I'm so happy about that. I can't believe Tom doesn't get that joke. Why would you kill yourself based on snot? He's he's stressed <laughs> out. And um, when you're I think stressed out, the sneeze. Yeah, that's how stressed out he is. Yeah, I, I still don't understand. It's such a small thing as sneezing on his hand. Makes Why would you kill, kill yourself based on snot? It's one of the great quotes of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you guys are telling me the script said, is he sees snot and he kills himself. I, that's a joke? How? I kind of want to watch this whole movie with you and just hear you. <laughs> Why would that be funny? It's a cow wearing boots. That's not funny. That is funny. I, that's in the poster, isn't it? I love that. Yeah. That's great. Cows wearing boots, that's hilarious. I love well, that. Well, it's also a real cow wearing boots. Yeah. But then in the story, it's two dudes wearing a cow suit, but they just filmed <laughs> a real cow moving around wearing boots. Okay, that's funny. shots of them inside the cow. I'm on board with this. And there's, right. even a, there's even a sex, a bestiality joke, Tom. Well, that I don't need, but mm-hmm. uh, I like the cow wearing boots. Maybe, you know, in context, the sneeze bit, I'll understand it. He's a blue lagoon. Um, character too he makes a garage door opener on blue lagoon what do you think about that i have no idea what you're saying chocolate mousse isn't it still don't know what you're saying keep going (laughs) um blue lagoon garage door chocolate mousse Omar Sharif. I know who uh, that is. I do know those uh, yeah, Omar He's Sharif. put in an auto crusher, and when he's looking at a girl's boobs, <laughs> the radio antenna, his radio antenna sticks out, and then it's, his horn honks twice. Okay. He's it's an, sexually it's, aroused. Yeah, it's an erection joke. I understand that. He's stuck in the glit it, It's Dr. Zhivago's dick. Well, let's not go there. What? <sighs> he's not playing he's the same little... character he's playing in Dr. Zhivago, please. It's it's kind yes. of considered a soft uh, sequel. Get get the yoke. <laughs> uh, runners up for sneezing. Um, I had one that I almost went with instead of Jurassic Park. Another Steven Spielberg movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where um, Harrison Ford uh, enters the uh, Scottish or en- enters the castle to infiltrate the Nazis, and he he. 
he pretends he's a Scottish lord, and uh, he wants to see the tapestries, and he sneezes and sneezes and sneezes. And the uh, the German guy, or, the, or the, actually the butler says, if you are Scottish lord, then I am Mickey Mouse. Why is he sneezing and sneezing and sneezing? Because it's dusty or something? I don't understand. Because he's come in from the cold. It's it, it's it, he's uh, he's come in from the cold. It's raining on him, and he says, "I've come to see the tapestries." And listening to his him doing that accent is hilarious. I don't understand Wait. the sneezing though. Because he's just he's just being distracting. He walks in from the the rain and he and he like he's like all covered in in water and he like like smacks off his hat and he goes. I, I, you see, I've caught a sniffle. Oh, it's just to show that he's sick, that he's yeah. So you don't want to be around him. You want to end the conversation quickly, right? So then, then, then he can go and see the tapestries. Hmm. You don't remember that from Last Crusade? It's. I would think that you would love this because it's Harrison Ford doing a convincing fake sneeze. Uh, that's another. Yeah, no, I, it's another movie I don't get the humor in. Just Last Crusade. Oh, look, the airplane swings popped off, and now it's going past him in the tunnel, and the pilot gives him a little wan look as he goes by. Yeah, oh, hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's another... a Nazi, by the way. He's killed a thousand people. Uh, I'm not sure everyone in the Luftwaffe was a Nazi. Yeah. That, that may be unfair, That's... Kelly Wand. Yeah. All right, he's a pilot. Uh, and then I'm sure there is one, but I couldn't, I couldn't watch it again this week, so I couldn't be positive, but I think there's one in, in the movie Tangled, uh, where where like a guard or a soldier has a has a sneeze, um, I think it's tangled that I'm thinking. Well, of. I was trying to think of something where like people are hiding and the person yeah. who's hiding sneezes and gets them. Sounds like a out. Wizard of Oz thing. Like they're hiding from the witch and then oh. Scarecrow sneezes. Does Toto ever sneeze? Because Toto ruins everything in Wizard of Oz. That guy's a jerk. He ruins, but he also elevates because he um, he gets Dorothy to Oz. I guess that's a disaster. Yeah, though. it's not. It's a, a disaster movie. movie. Yeah, it's about it's the perils of owning a dog. That's what Wizard of Oz is all about. I think he distracts the witch though long enough for Dorothy to pour water on her. Seems dumb to have water right next to you. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I watched um, uh, Jennifer Eight is uh, Andy Garcia and Uma Thurman. It's like a serial killer movie, and he's protecting her. But at the very end, it does this twist <clears throat> where. Uh, he's accused of murdering his partner. And I remembered from Jennifer 8 that the basically third act is John Malkovich interrogating Andy Garcia about this event and trying to accuse him of murdering his partner. And for whatever reason, John Malkovich, I, I don't know if he was really sick or if it was a character choice, but over the course of the interrogation, he wanted his, char- his character is getting increasingly like stuffy and ill. And he's blowing his nose, but he's legitimately sick. And I was curious if there was ever a sneeze there. So I watched that third act, and nope, he doesn't sneeze. But there's a lot of sniffling. There's a blowing nose. Uh, and there were scenes where uh, John Malkovich is like getting right up in Andy Garcia's face, like yelling at him and accusing him of stuff and just being crazy John Malkovich. And I remember watching that, just now watching that and thinking, well, if he's really sick and if he's got a cold and if I was Andy Garcia, I'd be like, dude, back up. You know, Don't get me sick too. I understand this is an important investigation for you, but I don't need to get a cold out of it. Please chill out. Um, hmm. But no, no sneezing, so that one didn't count. Uh, Dingus, you mentioned a TV sneeze, which I love. Uh, it's Chris Pratt. Yeah. Uh, it's Chris Pratt doing this weird, just totally tandem sneeze thing that he does in Parks and Rec. 
where he, and committing he, to the hell out of it. I mean, no, it's he, like, yeah, he basically becomes a headbanger. Yeah, and doing this the complete like the sneeze, 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 and he just goes crazy with it, and I absolutely loved it. It takes serious neck muscles. Yeah, he yeah. definitely exercised his neck. You could tell his neck got super buff for that, just like his whole body in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, right. And that's that's why I immediately thought of it for this one. Although uh, a couple of our listeners asked me uh, via Twitter were if I if I was thinking of the sneeze during Seinfeld because there's a whole episode where uh, where George uh, uh, tells uh, this woman. Uh, you know, bless you when she sneezes when her husband doesn't and she kind of falls for George because her husband can't be bothered to say bless you. Oh. <laughs> Taylor Lautner has a magic neck in Ridiculous Six. Did you actually see that? Because I wanted my under to be uh, Hateful Eight and my over to be Ridiculous Six. But I haven't seen six. Yeah, but I haven't. You have to explain why, and then well, I would have to watch Ridiculous Six. Yeah. It's on German Netflix, so I keep eyeballing it. But then I'm like, ah, there's another five characters I don't want to watch. And Taylor Lautner is really one of them. You can find out. Does Taylor Lautner have comedic chops? Well, he plays a retarded person, so with a straw hat. So I want to see his efforts at that. Yeah, like Leonardo DiCaprio and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. It's that kind of thing. Are you guys ready for next week's three by three? Next week's 3x3 three three is things, objects, or devices that don't work. Your favorite things, objects, or devices that don't work. And I will not be accepting any questions, Kelly Wan. But if I were, Wait, would so you have any? Do unemployed people count? Are people things, objects, or devices? Yeah, they're sex objects. So un- only unemployed, like sex workers, like unemployed prostitutes. Yeah, does an unemployed sex object count? I feel a prostitute's still a person. A non-working. Being a sex object, you are still a person. Does not preclude being a person. All right. Just because you're a sex object doesn't mean you're a thing, an actual object, or a, a device. Okay, so my number three is Julia Robertson. Pretty runaway. Oh, she's a man. All I know is I've never seen that. You think I've seen Pretty Woman? I thought, yeah, to do your satisfaction essay at Harvard. <laughs> that was this, this college. My thesis was on Pretty Woman. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Uh, so if you have uh, examples of things, objects, or devices that don't work in movies that are noteworthy, send those in to 3x3 at quarter to three dot com, uh, and I'll read them on the air next week. We would love. Does to a plot them. device? Kelly Wan, you just will have to find out. You'll have to see what you can get away with uh, with the 3 by 3 police next week. I'm thinking physical, physical, physical things, objects, or devices. Things, objects, or devices. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Physical things, objects, or devices. Not figurative, not sex objects. Okay, so the thing. Can it be a scene where it doesn't work? Uh, well, sure, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I specifically want to hear about what is the thing that doesn't work, and yeah, the scene, of course, the context will be important, so sure. Great, great. Sure. Uh, so send those into 3x3 at quarter to three dot com. We'll include them in next week's podcast. Uh, see Snowden next week. Uh, and then, uh, Dingus, we had Chris Webb, Chris Markinson, who was our other first time contributor who saw, uh, Magnificent Seven this week. Uh, his name is Josh Lubliner. His name yeah. is jo- Josh L. Josh L. Yeah. So, uh, and he had so, a, he had a lot of hilarious things to say that I didn't necessarily read. And, and uh, Kelly, he was, uh, he was really, uh, Wondering if 
if your uh, opsis doesn't include the phrase, Star-Lord tricks them by doing nothing, he said Aww. he would eat his hat. <laughs> well, Josh, get to eat, and I hope you don't wear too big of a hat. Uh, he was paying more attention to the movie than I was, I think. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so uh, those of you like, like Josh and the two Chris's did, send him some comments about Snowden, uh, and we'll, we'll read those next next week, or, or Dingus will include those in discussion next week for us. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Merlinski. It's Christian Morosky. And also Kelly Wand. Yes, have some. <laughs> <laughs> The 1960 Burner was kind of like Vin Diesel a little bit. It's got the same <laughs> rhythms. You read those in a book, or do you make them up as you go along? <laughs> what? I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Mm, good writing. <laughs>